are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Under the Skin. My name is Tom Chick, and to discuss Under the Skin with you, I've brought along with me Christian Morowski. Character's tattoo in my arm. Uh, I'm the only one with a name on this podcast, and my name is Dengus. Do you think that's it? And with, with an under the skin tagline, we have Kelly Wine. Uh, I'm still interested in that date. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before we talk about under the skin, maybe you haven't seen it. We're not going to spoil anything. Uh, first, I want to. Uh, we didn't see Amazing Spider-Man two this weekend. Yay! Um, How'd it do? Oh, we'll get to that, I guess. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, hold, hold that thought. I'm surprised you didn't see it, though, because you always see everything we don't see. I was going to duck into it. I was going to try to do a double feature this weekend and maybe spend a little time in the theater watching Spider-Man, but I didn't get around to it. Spending time. That's what you call it. So what we instead did was we saw... I don't... Spiding time. <laughs> uh, uh, did anyone see any trailers? Like, did we, did we actually have any bookkeeping we should do before we... Under the Skin doesn't have trailers. Oh, wait, wait. I did see. You know what I saw that you told me about months ago? And I was all, yeah, whatever, dude. And what? actually, Finally. Like, yes. Uh, the Signal trailer. Wait, what? You're talking about the, the, original, the, the movie with, uh, with uh, uh, Bowen, A.J. Bowen? I don't know who that is. Is that the guy from Final Destination? No, no there, there's another Signal. It's like a, a, teen, a teen Signal. I've never oh. seen a trailer for the new Team Signal. Why would I tell you to see that, Kelly Wand? If I ever told you to watch The Signal, it was a kind of a three-act uh, movie uh-huh. with, with A.J. Bowen and... Um, he might have been the only no, th- no, this is one with... with, with what's his name? With the, we just saw him in something. Britton Thwaites. Oh, my yeah. God, the Oculus kid? Yeah, the Oculus guy. Uh. Well, why would I care about a movie he's in called The Signal? What is it? It looks like science fiction, so I really – I could have sworn you said, dude, the Signal trailer, movie, whatever. You, I don't listen to you, but <laughs> remember the word Signal came out of your mouth at one point. Uh, I don't think I know anything about this. You might be confusing me with one of your dorky friends who ruined Under the Skin for me. Huh. <laughs> I hate that guy, actually. No, um, we did talk about this because you said the dude who directed it had another movie, just one other movie, and it was a one-word movie. It was like hate or something. Or Oculus. What? Oh my, what are you guys on about? Are you guys are you guys doing another podcast with a third dude who who you're confusing? <laughs> no, we we talked about this. It was, I wish. It was, the it was signal. Yeah, it's it's the a, signal. Why do you got to change titles <laughs> every fucking time? I, it's directed by someone named William Eubank, who I've never heard of. Uh, oh no, right. Okay, no, you're right. He's the guy that did that Civil War and Astronauts movie. That movie called Love. Uh, I wouldn't have known his name though. Yeah, I have no desire based on having <laughs> that would sound love. Too. I have no desire to see the signal, especially now that I know that Brenton Thwaites, that 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 CW looking kid from Oculus, is in it. Um, but He's Kelly, you lots with dark hair. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, but you saw the trailer for the signal, and you're intrigued by it now. Well, because it went. Well, because it looks like art film, but yeah, 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 definitely based on what that guy did with Love, I'm sure it is art film. Yeah. Well, so what's it looks like a What's Going On movie, and I, those are sometimes good, although usually not. There's a Lindelof series that looks like a What's Going On. It looks like fucking garbage. A TV series. Yeah. Why would you tell me that? I couldn't care less, Kelly Wand. I, Kelly Wand, I because I like hurting you. <laughs> it doesn't hurt me. It just I I look at that I mean, the way that Scarlett Johansson looks at action on the beach. Boom. There's nothing on my face. What do you think? Right of that? Way she looks at her boss. 
Uh, let's get down to the yeah. Scarlett Johansson looks at her boss oh on the beach by uh, having Dingus tell us what under the skin is without ruining anything. Dingus, I have no idea what you're going to do. Kelly Wan's friend already inadvertently ruined the movie for me. So how would you tell people what under the skin is? I'm going to advertently ruin it for him in a minute. Without spoiling it, Dingus. All right. Well, this week we saw Under the Skin, mm. a 2014 British-American movie. It was directed by... Yes, yeah. Wait, what was the word before British? I zoned out. He just gave the year, and I don't know why he gave that year. That's weird to me. Uh, but I like... What's the year? Now I'm carrying it. You got the year wrong, but I, I like the uh, paucity of information. Uh, well. two, a 2014... <laughs> I thought you said 13. My bad. Sorry. More it's me doing math. That's what you get. No, all I said was uh, this week we saw Under the Skin, a 2014 British-American movie. You know what, Dingus? 14 and 13 don't sound that different. They it's really point. don't. They feel I wasn't different. Listening. What did he say that time? The same thing. Yes. This this time Dingus, I said same. Rosemary's Baby. Dingus, I thought maybe you were doing something like it showed at the Toronto International Film Festival last year, so you were calling it a 2013 movie. I it know. showed well. All I care about is the second part of British American, and it's 2014 British American movie, and that's all you need to know going in. Why so we uh, American, Britarican. What? Why are you saying it's British American? I mean, it's it's, it's American. There's American. It is. She's she's American, and she's in the movie because there's American money in it. It's, okay, it's, fair it's just listed as British American in Wikipedia. Okay, I think fair the late American too. It's a it's a BFI sponsored movie. This isn't part of my spiel, but it is it is a it is under a grant, so it's mainly a British movie, but it has some American money. So if you're in America and you're making movies, you have got to be colossally jealous of the British. Actually, a lot of European countries, because they will throw money at the weirdest, offbeat, crazy ideas. Like if you're if you're in another country and you're wanting to make some crazy little movie, you are in an awesome place. Do not come to America. It is yeah. amazing to me what you will see, like that British Film International or the British Lottery or whatever. You'll see those on just the weirdest little offbeat movies, and it's the British government throwing money at, at the arts. I mean, I love that. Why can't Wait, we- the British government's winning its own lottery and then using it to make science fiction movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this happens whenever we see a British movie or an Australian movie or whatever. Australia, too, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We see all Why? kinds of stuff just... We're like the Lamest. Well, we have we have Hollywood here, Kelly Wand. And we what have, do we have a money going to? We're exporting uh, the Transformer movies to Yemen. That's true. That's what we I do. You'd be happy for America. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Dingus, I'm sorry. So 2014, you did get the year right. I apologize for calling you out. British American film. I think there was a little more to say. Go ahead. All right, it's a uh, 2014 British American movie. Uh, it was directed by Jonathan Glazer and written by him and Walter Campbell, based on the novel by I don't know if you would say Michael or Michelle Farber, Faber. Do you know how to pronounce his name? I don't think it's you're going to have to be our source materials expert because you've ordered the book, so you're on your own. Yes, I have Except ordered the book and I've, and, and I've started reading it. Based on the book by Michael Faber, it stars Scarlett oh. Johansson and other people. <laughs> other people. <laughs> Under the Skin is rated R Ooh. for graphic nudity. <laughs> that just means dongs, by the way. Yeah, for dongs. Uh, sexual content, dongs. Some dongs violence, for- dongs. And language, dongs. <laughs> the language is indecipherable, so that's an interesting... <laughs> 
Uh, Under the Skin is a very limited release, so it has made no money. What? Uh, if we, accomplished. If we look oh. at the critical reception on Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, Under the Skin is at 78 out of 100. Mm, thoughtful. Now, if we look at Rotten Tomatoes, I, I, sometimes I, I find this fascinating. What Rotten Tomatoes is just a percentage of reviews that are positive. If you go to Rotten Tomatoes, it just lumps in all these different reviews. But you can filter them. You can click on top critics. You can furthermore look at an audience rating, uh, which Metacritic also has. But uh, in Rotten Tomatoes, so if you look at the overall <laughs> pool of reviews, and this yeah. includes things like the Poughkeepsie Times or the Iowa City Intelligencer, you know, little places like that, you know, some some local film station in, or a TV station in in, in uh, Dakota, North Dakota. It's called Intelligencer yeah, City. Uh, is it Intelligencer, uh, like the name of a – there's a Seattle yeah. Intelligencer, isn't there? It's a name on a newspaper. I was oh, making no, I a fake cool. newspaper. Oh, okay. To make uh, a point. So at any rate, if you lump all of the reviews for Under the Skin into the Rotten Tomatoes bucket and you look at what percentage of them are positive, uh-huh. 86%. Oh, my God. So much math to get there. Now, when you filter it by top critics, and these are the critics who have been around a long time. Their, their names are better known. Their publications have a little more prestige. Uh, only a certain few get into the top critics category. When you filter this, so these are the people who are more experienced, veteran film critics. If you filter Rotten Tomatoes by top critics, the number goes from 86 to 71. Wait, what? What, is <laughs> what is going on? And then furthermore, as you might expect, if you filter it by the audience, the number goes down to 64% positive. So there's some weird little jump where, yeah, in general, critics really liked it. The super smart critics, only 71% of them liked it. And the audience, only 64% of them liked is it. Is it measuring intelligence or intelligentsia? I understand the last number, but the middle number, I don't get. That is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. The 78 was uh, And I do want to say real quick, so it, it, it's a very limited release. Uh, you know, if it's not playing near you, good luck. Uh, <laughs> uh, you don't sound sincere about that. Well, it, it's I, you're not wishing real luck. It, it's not going. I mean, it's the, it's kind of a micro budget movie for one thing. So I I'm sure it'll turn. I, I presume it'll turn a profit because of it costs nothing. It, it because, costs nothing because it, I went twice and that that'll do it. Dingus really? twice and people go who really have. So it's already no, made a profit just off Dingus. Yeah, and people go who really have no business going as. When, when someone told me about this movie, he, he explained to me, okay, he, Tom, I'm going to tell you – the only thing I'm going to tell you about this movie because he knew I didn't want to hear anything about it is when I saw it, a bunch of people got up and left. <laughs> so when Dickens and I saw it, people got up and left too. So people are walking into this thinking, oh, yeah, it's science fiction, Scarlett Johansson. I like turning the Avengers. I'll go see this. And they sit there, and several minutes into it, they realize, what is what is going on? This isn't for me. They get up and they leave, and they go see Noah or whatever. Um <laughs> So, uh, I, good. That's more interesting. That's that's totally trading up if they're Orange County. But you know, it's where people kept walking. Well, there were only two people in my theater, and they walked in and went, "Oh, it's on this screen too." Fuck! And then they walked back out again. Like they're just doing the rounds, waiting to so they this find the screen. It was on more than one screen where you were. I just meant they walked out of your screening and then drove Orange County and then. <laughs> Somehow about the tickets again. At the end of I don't know what they were thinking. It was weird. At the end of our first screening, the the eight people in front of us went up and like, whose idea was this? Carl. Oh. Carl. 
Wait, Carl came up with the idea for the movie? No, it's like, who, whose idea was to come sure. to this? Carl. Carl! Uh, and I do want to real quickly address uh, Spider-Man, which is, of course, number one this weekend. <laughs> the Amazing Spider-Man 2, number one. It made $92 million, which <gasps> is way, way lower than previous Spider-Man movies that opened in May. So it, it's actually it's not a bomb or anything, but what Box Office Mojo, which is a site that is a great place to go to look at box office figures, what they theorized is that it's a very disappointing opening for a number of reasons. They suggest that maybe there's some franchise fatigue. Uh, they talked about the middling reception, to, critical reception to the, the first Amazing Spider-Man to the reboot, uh, which did great, but it opened on a Fourth of July weekend. Uh, and they also accused Captain America of stealing some of its thunder. Oh. Now, Thor steals thunder, A, and two... He doesn't steal it, Kelly One. He borrows it. And I just, I'm just not fond of what follows. That's an idiotic theory, because all their movies... The movies always do well. What are you talking about? Like, wait, what part is the what, idiotic theory? The idiotic, the idiotic theory part is that comic book movies open within months of each other all the time, and they usually make money, and this is an aberration. Yeah, but why it, didn't this make as much money as previous... Because we didn't want to see it. That's how bad it is. Sorry, go ahead. What now? That was it. I was just going to say. Uh, the, I think the question is, why didn't it make as much money as Spider-Man movies that open in May? It didn't. It fell super far short of the Raimi movies that opened in May. And by the way, those movies didn't have the 3D premium and the increased ticket prices to, to figure for it. Mm. Uh, so you do have to wonder, you know, what's going on with this. And what Box Office Mojo suggested is that part of it probably is franchise fatigue and people not caring so much about this reboot, but that possibly there is – you know, we go see all the superhero movies for the most part. We're going to see this right. X-Men thing. We're, we saw Thor. Uh, but that's just not, you know, the way – and a lot of enthusiasts listening to this podcast will see every superhero movie. But that's not the way that the average person goes to movies. I have a theory, though. So maybe they just saw Captain America and they're like, eh, I've already seen something. This, this well, also, if you – okay, you saw the trailer for Spider-Man 2, right? I did, yes. All of them. Okay, remember that thing where the dude goes, I'm Ben Parker. Like, you find out Spider-Man's dad's a fucking physicist or something. Like, the whole thing about Spider-Man was that he was just a normal dude who had an ailing aunt and, you know, some shit happened to it. But now it's the same thing as every other story where there's, like, an industrial espionage in a night shine along clone. So I think what you're saying, Kelly Wan, though, that's the kind of stuff that only enthusiasts care about, the type of people right, so, who will go see it anyway. But they didn't come out either. That's my point. Like, they lost the enthusiast with that. Like, wait, that's not Spider-Man for real. I'm guessing they did that the fact that's that it, like, I'm guessing that 92 million does account for the usual suspects going, but what it takes for the previous Spider-Man openings, because I think Spider-Man 3 was something like 150 million on its opening weekend, is that, that, uh, you know, Joe Q public went, not just the enthusiasts. Uh, well, for right. whatever reason, they missed out, you know, 60 million dollars was left on the table or spent somewhere else. I think you, I think I still maintain the reverse of your theory is true because the only person I know who saw that movie was my mom and she loved it and she's not a comics nerd. And she's, I do want to say it's not my theory, by the way. This is just what Box Office Mojo was suggesting. And you're not I a have, comics guy, so to you it would be – you didn't want to see it for other reasons. Wait, did you say I'm a comics guy? No, you're not. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank God. <laughs> you're like, fuck Spider-Man. Oh my god, I just thought I, got, I thought I just got called a comics guy. No, you're a Lindelof apologist because you watched all episodes of The River. Wait a minute, that's not right. <laughs> I had a guy accuse me of liking Spider-Man, the first Amazing Spider-Man movie. <laughs> See? Wait, who was it? Was it your son? No, no, it was uh, it was one of the dads 
of uh, of another of a. It's a friend of mine. He's he's a dad on the soccer team, and he's like, uh, remember when you said you really liked that for that amazing Spider-Man movie? And then we had to like figure out which Spider-Man movie oh, we were talking about. Second. He's like, no, no, you said you really loved that, and I told, and I said, no, no, I hated it, and I have right. two hours of podcast to prove it. He's like, no, no. You you said you loved that, and then he went into this whole thing about how uh, there's this this alignment between Richard Parker in this and Richard Parker the Tiger in Life of Pi. Who's Richard Parker? Isn't it Ben Park? Wait. Oh my God, that's true. There's Your no Rich. Yes. Wait, no, Richard Parker the Tiger. Remember? Right, right. But is there a Richard Parker in Spider? Oh my God, why are we talking about this? No, no, no. Wait. Shut up. Shut up. I like this friend now. He totally he just unjumped the shark. Wait, he's right. Richard Parker's the. It's got the same actor. Wait, in life who's of Richard? Yeah. Ben Parker. Irfan Khan is in. Irfan Khan is in both movies, and he keeps talking about Richard Parker. Wait, your friend went. You obviously love Spider-Man, which is totally true or not true. And then from that, he goes. Here's the proof that there's a Life of Pi connection between the sequel and Life of Pi. I still have a question. Who is Richard Parker? His dad. His dad is Ben Parker, isn't it? No, his Uncle Ben, yeah. the rice. Oh, guy. wait, Uncle Ben, like the rice? That's a joke. Yeah. Wait, isn't there a rice called Uncle Ben? Yeah. This makes no sense. What's going on? I feel like Marvel Comics is just pulling so all the rice on the shelf. He put two and two together. Uh, I guess Richard Parker is really Peter Parker's dad's name. Yeah, and Aunt May's name, and Irfan Khan is in both movies talking about that name over and over again. <laughs> She's named after the horror movie about the because uh, the writer of Life of Pi was a big Spider-Man fan. What is that true? According to this guy who says oh, I so love that, the amazing. Spider-Man. All right, I'm an idiot. Forget everything I just said. It's just the same money. God, but yeah. Whatever Tom said is probably true. All right, so that's the math for this week. Kelly Wand, <laughs> why don't you tell us about uh, the plot? <laughs> Here's something I've been, I've been looking forward to this ever since the opening moments of Under the Skin. I'm like, oh, man. Oh, me too. I can't wait to hear Kelly Wand's take. So, Kelly Wand, why don't you give us a plot synopsis of Under the Skin? Oh, we're going to spoil the movie, by the way. Oh, yeah, if you're listening. Um, and, you know, we do this every now and then. I think we'll all agree here. If you haven't seen Under the Skin, uh, I... I actually resented Kelly accidentally telling me what someone had told him. I was wrong. A different, no, you weren't. What someone had accidentally told him a different movie was about, and I was smart enough to connect the dots and think, oh, that person was talking about Under the Skin. So we don't often do this, but I am going to recommend, if you haven't seen Under the Skin, just go ahead and stop listening. Um, it's at least, even if you don't like it, it is a uh, unique or distinct enough movie that I would recommend just not listening to us Babylon and see it, and then come back and listen to us. And I, I would really, I would really ask you to please, if you can, if there's any way you can, go see it in a theater. Please, please, please see this movie in a theater. You know what? Yeah, if you're listening, just move to Los Angeles already, where we have movies like this. Yeah, I'm and just, they're open in four theaters for half a day, or New well, York. I mean, if, you, if there's any way you can see it in the theater, please do. You can stay with us if you come out here. If you yeah. fly to L.A. just to see it, you can stay with us. We'll put you up so that you can go see it in one of our nice theaters here. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, all right, so Kelly Wand, how about an under the skinopsis? Jesus. <laughs> under the skopsis, Tom. <laughs> God. Ugh. So much to say. Under the Scopsis, a blue light's all. 
Bagpipe, Billy Connolly, Braveheart, Capaldi, Connery, Ferguson, Haggis, Jim Beam, Nessie, Plaid, Ron Weasley, Shirley Manson, Shrek, Tape, Terrier, Train Spotting, Whiskey, Willie, Woad. The light's job is to make perfect Scarlett Johansson skins and teach linguistics, but the aliens haven't unlocked weaving yet. So the Euro aliens in their hunchbacked mocap suits and scuba flippers who work for the light ride motorcycles to a pit full of chicks and fishnets. <laughs> That's the first sentence of the opsis, Tom. <laughs> How you doing? It's, it's like Ulysses. They grab one whose face is frozen in an expression similar to the one I had during the other woman and drive her to a white room to be destroyed by naked Scarlett Johansson. My dick's all hooray for intergalactic agriculture. (laughs) They give Scarlett Johansson a van that the blue light considers the ideal vehicle for seduction. She drives it to Nordstrom's to buy another set of fishnets and a couple spare blue light bulbs, just in case. Then she sits in the perfect place if you want to lure dudes by showing skin in Scotland in January. <laughs> she parks next to a dude. <laughs> that was going better than I hoped. She parks next to a dude walking home and sticks her head out the window. She's all, excuse me, I'm looking for a place to drain your fluids. I mean, my planet doesn't have maps yet. Would you mind telling me how to get you inside this van? He's all. Oh, you just ploofer up this here Loch Ness Moodster's bottom tissue. You get to the groundskeeper's woodchuck and just hang a Welsh left lips of dipsy water skedaddle up the buttress and get your scooper down under your minions of the cockadoodle, eh? <laughs> Ugh. Too bad Navajo men taste like cardboard. Excuse me, other guy. I'm from London, so I don't know your earth terms. Can you tell me the way to that channel I just came out of? Me on vacation, why, man? (laughs) Really? Really? That's what I heard, dig this, when I saw the movie. I'm just... I just transcribed what happened verbatim. I just bought LA Clippers for 10 haikus. I see what you did there. (sighs) That's Scarlet. And Dingus. Excuse me. Sorry, my lady. Have a family, so you won't be seeing me giving directions to Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> Best be shoving off then. Chimneys need sweeping. Chim, chim, chiroo. <laughs> we don't have a chimney. Hey, everybody. It's me, Sally Field. <laughs> You may know me best as Reboot Aunt May or Tom Hanks's mom or love interest. My Spider-Man movies... <laughs> it's still trading down, isn't it? <laughs> My Spider-Man movies playing in the adjacent auditorium. Just thought I'd swing by. Get it? <laughs> Just saying, hey, uh, hope to see you all January 015 in my Harold and Maude reboot with Kellen Lutz. Why can't lottery money go into something like that? Huh. The van gets rained on. Aliens may be blue light years ahead of us on the alphabetization front, but getting men to want to fuck Scarlett Johansson can take hours. But eventually, Jackpot, a Scotsman who mistakes her for Natalie Portman. After deciding she'll get literally more nipples on a deserted beach, she finds a dude chasing another dude chasing a girl chasing a dog into the ocean. Three get away, but she brains the last one, who's already 98% dead with a rock. Work, work, work. Since he's also got usable scuba gear, he's a twofer. Tom? Hello. Hello. 
There's also a baby there, but since only full-grown Scotsmen are a delicacy to blue lights, she leaves the infant there to contemplate Kate Upton's acting and the other woman. (laughs) That joke made me feel dirty. Just like Kate Upton. It rains. Scarlett Johansson gets disillusioned, crossing a whole galaxy, and now her whole job consists of commuting. Even on her weekend off, she can't even get across the street without a gaggle of shrieking cougars forcing her to engage in the classic Scottish custom of making hot young potential competition, enter a disco with them, and then ignore them. <laughs> you remember that part, Tom? I do. <laughs> you made them sound like those weird little creatures in the Critters movies. Seriously. I'm like a Scottish woman. The way Scarlett Johansson is. I mean, at least there's no cover charge if you're being whisked along by an incomprehensible mob. I mean, shouldn't it be unintelligible? We'll fix it in post. After making clear that you, that, fuck. After making clear that she's sexually available by looking for the exit, she's accosted by Tintin. <laughs> no. She drives into the apartment she rented because it has a basement full of flypaper and conveyor belts. Then she seduces him by walking away from him. Her eyes are all, don't mind that sinking into the floor, it's just a metaphor for blue light. After he's 12 feet underwater, he decides to stop walking and reassess stuff. His <laughs> eyes are all, uh. He sees another dude hanging out. They high five. <laughs> Then the other guy swims away really fast. (laughs) Swim harder. I don't understand this movie, Tom. You have to explain it to me. There's a tray of strawberry pudding. I'm not sure what's going on. It's still a cool date. This movie made me hungry. And not just for Hanson. After Scarlett Johansson tricks a few more drunken Scotsmen into forgetting how floors work, <laughs> I can't believe I was worried. I can't believe I was worried. We're in easy room. One day she's walking around. God damn it. Why do I got to write like this? After Scarlett Johansson tricks a few more drunken Scotsmen into forgetting how floors work, Comma. One day she's walking around in downtown Glasgow and suddenly trips over nothing, but tricks the sidewalk by levitating. She's also, this is what it feels like to be Scottish and almost subject to gravity. That night her boss's eyes are all sidewalks, huh? The Scottish radio's all, this just in, hundreds of males continue to disappear near nightclubs. Sadly, the only witnesses, a group of women, were unintelligible even to Scotland Yard and also forced one officer to go dancing. In other news, <laughs> no alien underground swimming pools have been reported, and Scotland's highest-rated sitcom, Guy Peeling Banana to Laugh Track, is on tomorrow night. Now here's Gordon Ramsay and the Wee Bairns with the number one Scottish pop song in America, Danae what shite ye be tookin' uchi family flaps, laddie. I think the word's supposed to be fanny, but I don't know. I don't speak Scottish. That night, some guys try to christen Scarlett Johansson's van, but she gets annoyed, so she drives a couple blocks to hit on a guy who wasn't involved. 
Like her, he has skin issues, so when she sees a fly, she compassionately lets him walk nude across a mountain range home. Then she runs away to become Scottish. This enrages her scuba bosses. The last thing they need is prying eyes, so they murder the dude in his driveway in front of his neighbors. Despite tracking him easily, they can't find Scarlett Johansson, so they use the Capricorn One technique of splitting up... Would Simpson had been one of the motorcycles? <laughs> That's a whole other layer. That's fucking Scotland for you. It's right in the center of everything. Scarlett Johansson wants to know what it feels like to be a normal female, so she sits alone in a Scottish restaurant and orders a 5,000-calorie piece of cake. It tastes kind of dry, so she takes a bus. The bus is only passengers, Jurgen Proc now. <laughs> He says two monosyllables a day, so she moves in with him. They watch TV in silence, and he does some dishes. Life is perfect. He takes her to see Scotland's famous puddle and also a pitch-black dungeon at the bottom of a castle I guess he owns, since nobody else is there. He carries her across the puddle, even though it's only a couple feet wide, but then makes her hobble precariously down the castle <laughs> steps in spike-heeled boots, which ironically would have kept her feet dry from the puddle, but steps. I've thought a lot about this movie, Tom. She's still trading up, though, so she decides to sleep with him, but finds out by shining a lamp that she doesn't have a vagina or too many. Then she hears motorcycles, so she walks into the woods. She meets a chatty fireman, then finds a cabin with a sign on it that says, Travelers and rapists, please sleep in the fireplace if you want to. Regards the Scottish Forestry Service. She dreams that her eyes are closed, then wakes up to find herself with the fireman on top of her. She's all, fuck Scotland, and takes off. The fireman chases her, but when her skin comes off, he feels disillusioned with the Scottish single scene. So he finds a can of gasoline by a nearby tree and sets her aflame. I nudge the imaginary nine-year-old sitting beside me and go, oh, I guess he's a Bradbury fireman, huh? The actual 70-year-old sitting there scowls at me and moves away. (laughs) Science fiction, Tom. (laughs) Scarlett Johansson burns alive while tongues of smoke curl upwards in fading trails to gradually vanish. The sky is all, uh, directed by Jonathan Glazer. And, <laughs> boom! Fire. See, no one's going to have seen this movie, though, and they're going to listen to that and think nothing, I guess, probably. They're going to think like, awesomeness is what they're going to think. Uh, oh, I watched Birth, by the way, I want you guys to know, after I saw this movie. So. Oh, Awesome, you watched Birth. Yeah. So we've all on this podcast seen all of Jonathan Glazer's movies. He started off with uh, Sexy Beast, then he did Birth, and this is his third movie. Um, all right, so, so uh, yes, Kelly Wood. It's the end of the trilogy. Mm, well, we'll touch on that in a little bit, but first, uh, Dingus, you saw this twice. You, obvi- you ordered the book for some odd reason. <laughs> Uh, so why don't you tell us first what you this this made you want to read the science fiction book? Uh, no, I was so shocked at the end of uh, the first time we saw it uh, to see based on the novel um, because I was just flummoxed. Uh, th- this is just one of those movies where you sit there going, "What's going on? What's going on? What's going on?" in the best possible way, and then to get to the end of it and go based on a novel, I. I was just so curious about that because generally that's the kind of novel where everybody says, 
unfilmable. And I just I and so I immediately ordered it because I I wanted to see what what the voice sounded like. I just wanted to read the voice. I didn't want to find out anything that happened. I don't I don't care uh how the novel tracks the plot. I don't care what happens at the end of the novel. I'll get there eventually. I'm a really slow reader, so there was no way I was going to get to the end of the novel by the time we did this podcast. I just wanted to see the voice. I just wanted to see uh, how is her character, what's going on, whose point of view is it. Um, I just wanted to get a sense of it because I was shocked that it was based on a novel having watched it because I sat there so long going, what is going on? Uh, So, yeah, I did order it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Kelly Wan, do you know anything about the book? Mm, I looked it up afterwards because I figured I'd rather just be able to talk about it on the podcast, but now I don't know how much I want to say. But it definitely sounds way different and very loosely adapted. Like well, there is, and kind of like Birth, by the way, it, they kind of changed the focus from the source material. Like I think I read that Birth was originally going to be more about the kid character in that. But then at the last, after like working on the script for years, they changed the focus to Nicole Kidman. And I think on this, there was like, it was more about the dude and Brad Pitt was going to be, they're going to, they're going to be farmers in the original version. They're Are like you talking about of birth or of under the skin of under the skin. Oh, well, yeah, I didn't get the transition either. I like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, so Brad Pitt plays the baby. What's going on? Uh, I, I think he he uh, the the novel like it's it's really interesting watching the movie. The movie is so cinematic. I mean, so yeah. uh, it, it's it's definitely it's not a conventional narrative. And when you see that it's based on a book, you can't help but be curious and wonder. Like you were saying, Dingus, you know, is there anything? Is there any illumination to be found from finding out more about the book? And what you basically find out as you read about the book is that Jonathan Glazer just kind of threw the book out the window. Right, right. He uses it as a premise. A highway book. But the book is much more of an explicit. Hey, what if aliens came to Earth and they were mining humans for their meat? Right. Uh, and uh, that's just not the, the movie is doing something similar. But that's not the point of, of what's going on in the movie. And in the book, by the way, the alien has a name, and she talks to her superior. Well, she uh, doesn't like being human either. She doesn't like the skin, right? I haven't read it. I don't know. I just read the synopsis, and I read the ending of the book. Uh, when it showed up here, because I just wanted to see how <laughs> whether or not <laughs> it showed up here. But you get it, you definitely get a sense. Uh, what I like about the reading the first couple chapters of the book is you get a sense of uh, how of of where Scarlett Johansson gets a jumping off point as an actress. Um, I don't know. I don't. I doubt she read the book at all. Uh, she shouldn't have. But but you see this characterization developing in the first few pages of the book as far as how that character uh, regards or perceives the world and interfaces with it. And I liked, I liked just reading the voice of it, but I was just so fascinated by that fact that I had, I had to look at it. Well, also a lot of the conversations were, I guess, improvised in the, with hidden cameras in the, in the first part. Like those were non-actors, but then I guess afterwards or something, they were told what they might wind up having to do depending on how it went or something. Right. That doesn't make any sense. But no, no, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and okay. you can see, you can kind of see that with the way the the uh, the camera work works inside the van. Yeah, and how she's talking because she's she's sort of she doesn't see she's not being awkward at all with the language, which I think she would be if the scene was more scripted like she's obviously trying to actually get them to respond to her right i think yeah. 
I love this movie, and I thought it kind of was like a science fiction version of the Scorpion story, I guess. Kind of. Scorpion story? The if the where the the frog rides on the scorpion's back across the yeah. Uh, okay, elaborate. Explain. She can't change her nature, so she's like Ryan Gosling. Oh, her. you knew I would sting you. I'm a scorpion. It's what we do. Yeah. Right. Did you like this movie, Tom? I can't tell. Uh, Dingus, you go next. I'm going last. I, I'm, abso- I'm absolutely crazy about this movie. Um, I, I sat there wondering what the heck is going on. I love it. I spent days upon days thinking about it and wondering what I had seen and and, you know, you, you sit there, and this is one of those movies where you sit there going, what is going on? And I thought, okay, this is an alien, and what's going on with this alien? Am I right about that? I don't know if I'm right about that. I don't care. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I love this movie. I absolutely am crazy in love with this movie. I loved it as science fiction. I loved it as cinematography, the acting, the sound design, the editing. And I like Dingus. I was like, I had no idea where I was going from the first shot till the very last shot. And I really enjoyed that. Sensation. So I was told by you, Kelly Wan, that it was about an alien hunter, which I, I can't. What? He, what when, did, when did that happen? I said it on the podcast. So when Kelly Wan, or no, I think it was maybe after one of the recordings, Kelly was talking about how one of his colleagues Bounty hunter. had seen a, uh, a trailer for Lucy or something, which isn't out yet. Right. At any rate, your your friend was like, "No, it's a movie about Scarlett Johansson. She's this alien hunter." So oh. I immediately knew that that's what, and I didn't know any of that. That that's what Kelly was talking about, and I immediately knew the first scene of Under the Skin, what was going on. So that I felt I just, you know, I I I love knowing nothing about movies, and that was kind of a bummer. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, no, no, you didn't even know is the thing, Kelly Wan. You just mm-hmm. thought your friend was an idiot who was making up something. Uh, no, spoiled it for me, and then I spoiled it for you, but I didn't mean to. But it, the thing is, it's not like uh, a movie like this has so much more in store, right. even when you're watching right. that weird opening, what is this? And you're realizing, oh, it's an alien learning to talk. This is kind of birth imagery. Um, so even though just the, the premise, I was kind of hip to it earlier than I would have liked to have been, uh, there's just so much to, to like and appreciate mm-hmm. in this movie. Uh, and I got the sense watching this movie, uh, I'm a little too young to have ever seen like a Stanley Kubrick movie or a Martin Scorsese movie and, and seen what they were doing with the medium of film as absolute, utter, unprecedented yeah. visionaries. You know, what would it have been like to go to a movie theater in the 70s when something like, oh, should I see Airport or should I see this movie Taxi Driver? You know, and to walk in and sit down and see something like Taxi Driver and think, holy fuck, you know, look what this guy has done on film. Uh, and I felt that way watching Under the Skin. Like, I love Sexy Beast. Sexy Beast is really good. I, I think Birth is, is sublime. But, but watching what Jonathan Glazer does in Under the Skin, I, I finally think I realize this guy is a freaking genius. Yeah, um, And, and it, it would be kind of like with Scorsese. Like, oh, that Mean Streets, that's, pr- that's pretty cool. And, oh, he did this concert movie about the, the band or whatever. Oh, that's kind of interesting. But at some point, you have to realize seen a few of his works, he's a freaking genius. And the same with Kubrick, you know. Oh, Paths of Glory, he did a war movie. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, what came after that? Would it have been Dr. Strangelove? Uh, but at any rate, as you watch movies and as Kubrick makes them, at some point you realize, holy crap, this guy is a, is a gift to the art form. Uh, and so having seen Under the Skin, which I was absolutely blown away by, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm just convinced that Jonathan Glazer is... Uh, you know, he's an international treasure. 
He's been working on this since birth, by the way, which was 10 years ago. So this took him that long. He's 10 years old? I really enjoy it. Well, he says he's me, actually. He, there's a, if you go to Google and you just uh, Google under the skin, I think one of the early hits is a 20-minute – it's not even an interview because the interviewer cuts out any of his own comments. It's just 20 minutes of Jonathan Glazer talking about the, the making of Under the Skin. And he's like, he's like any really talented director. He can't speak normal English. You know, he's, he, it's almost like he's <laughs> burdened by his own ingenuity and, and so many thoughts are coming. And, uh, he has this really kind of artistic way of speaking, uh, but it's fascinating. Um, what nationality is he? I don't really... I don't, he's, very I, English. he's definitely English, um, yeah. which is one of the reasons that, you know, Birth is very New York. Sexy Beast uh, is, I don't know what to call it, it's expatriate Londoner in Spain. Spain. Um, and the specificity of Under the Skin, which is part of its genius, and I think one of the few things it takes from the novel, the specificity of its Scottish setting also made me wonder, oh, well, obviously he's a Scot, but he's right. not. He's totally an English guy. Right. Um, they speak. It's so maybe if he was Scottish, though, it'd be it wouldn't be as effective because no, you can't understand a fucking word anybody's saying in this movie, and I think that's important to its effects. Well, the, the novel is definitely set there. I don't, I, I don't know well, if he's being he true to that. Well, yeah, I, well, I don't know if he's being true to that, but but it's cool. It doesn't to matter. That on so as far as language is concerned. Uh, I, I, can, I don't know what you guys. I can kind of. I can understand train spotting. Like I think. Uh, you know, even if I don't right. hear a particular word here and there, and I think it comes from watching a lot of movies, but I can understand that pretty dense Scottish. That's not what's going on here. He's deliberately making the sound design so that it it's just sounds completely alien and foreign, like everything they say. Those women, yeah. you're not supposed to hear a single... Oh, I see what you're saying, right. But some of yeah. the, the conversations with Scarlett Johansson... With oh, the no, no, no. I'm saying everything he does is deliberate. If you can't understand something someone says in this movie, it's because you, he doesn't want you. It's like Ridley Scott muting the dialogue in Alien in the first movie. <laughs> Ridley right. Scott wishes he was Jonathan. Ridley but, Scott... But I think, well, I think you understand everything contextually, though. It's right. just that you might not hear the words. No, yeah, and I'm, I'm uh, everything I say is a compliment. Like it's all deliberate. It's all. Oh yeah, I well, totally part agree. of it. I mean, I think part of the genius of the movie is how nonverbal it is. Right. And, and and Kelly, that gets to what you're you're talking about. Is there no one ever sits down in this movie and explains to you that, that this is a movie without any verbal exposition ever. <laughs> uh, and that is the key to why it is so alien and so unsettling. Um, because this is, you know, when you, when you talk about someone making a movie about an alien, maybe they hire H.R. Giger to draw one and they get Stan Winston to do an effect. You know, that's an alien and something cool. But, but as far as the actual storytelling being completely alien, that's what's going on here. And mm-hmm. part of it is, it is divorced from the, the conventional Use of English language to communicate to the audience what is going on and what is happening and who is what to whom. Um, Dude, uh, I just, go ahead. Yep. Well, in support of that, uh, by chance, like t- I was just, just kind of watching all TV to go to sleep last night, and the end of Mission to Mars was on. I don't know if you remember that movie. There's a part where isn't that right? Sadis- I don't think I saw that. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's uh, there's a part of the end where Sadis and Don Cheadle and a girl actress are like. A, a, a CG alien comes out and shows them all the CG of like Mars and Earth, and then like a, he he a tear falls from its eye because like an asteroid hits Mars, and like it, it like holds your hand that much. It's so bad in the music. Like the so alien bad. has to have a tear. Like it has tears yeah, yeah, so to make it that, cry. Right, right. right. <laughs> it has alien. Oh god. And so I watched it the night after Under the Skin. It's just like what? Oh, it's, it's excruciating. 
180. Well, it, we, get, we get a tear from this alien's eye. No, you don't. Is it the alien or is it the victim at the first? The it's, the, it's the very first victim whose uh, body or oh, I persona see she overtakes. There's this tear from the body. And then she picks up an ant, of course, from it. Right, but the alien doesn't cry. Or, no, no, no. But right. but it's uh, it's her previous thing. Sorry, so was that body Scarlett Johansson at the first as well? Is that oh, yeah. the idea is that she's on the ground and standing up? That's what I thought. Okay, I wonder. Yeah, yeah, it's the alien oh. taking over, basically. Right. Um, God, that's so well, well, kind of what it reminded me of, if you guys remember one of the keys to making – so I think this is mainly science fiction, but it certainly has elements of horror because of how unsettling it is. Yeah. Um, well, one of the uh, – one of the keys to good horror is not explaining stuff. Uh, and if you remember in Paranormal Activity, they had this idea where they, they say, you know what? This isn't a ghost. A ghost is a human. It is a byproduct of a human. This is a demon. And you can never understand a demon. Uh, and that in Paranormal Activity, it was a cool device. And it was a way to cover for this idea of, hey, if your house is haunted, just leave the freaking house, which is what everybody thinks with a haunted house. But this is a demon, so we don't know its motives. And that was actually very effective in Paranormal Activity, uh, This, where they don't have to explain the motivation. They just say it's simple, inhuman mouth. Well, he goes, he goes they, I wrote about demons. They suck. <laughs> That's like – he just breaks down this entire book he read about demonology. No, no. When they, I think it's even when they have the demon expert come in. They, they, they clearly state, state this is no reflection of humanity. It's a completely different realm. We can't right. understand it. Right, right. Uh, so here – Rather than anyone saying to us, and partly because it's from the movies, from the, the alien's perspective, the alien bits and how we can't possibly understand them, they're expressed in that lack of explanation uh, and in some of the trippy visualizations and those, those, that black room and that white room. Uh, but, but what sort of grounds it is the juxtaposition of that stuff, of that alienness, that sense of otherness, that, you know, what am I looking at? The juxtaposition of that with those street scenes – which uh, and, and I think that, again, whose idea was this? Because it's brilliant mm-hmm. to juxtapose this alien, scary, unsettling movie with what looked like gonzo porn movie shoots. <laughs> you know, it, it's like so it, adding that into to these stylized sequences. It was just incredible. And, and it's lottery, buddy. You know, I don't think it's an actual I don't know what that is, but there's something called the British lottery, which I think. I don't know. Well, you'll have to look up how that works. I don't Sorry. think it's technically a lottery, Kelly Wand. Um, Just saying. Well, I think this is Jack part Rod. of what you're talking about, about Jonathan Glazer's brilliance, is his ability to uh, give us the perspective of the protagonist, <laughs> who is this alien creature that we are going along with. We are with her the whole time. But we have the understanding of her victims. We we are with her, but we have their understanding. Um, so when they're sinking into the floor, we don't understand anything more than they understand. And when they talk, we don't understand anything more than she does. It's this great, mm-hmm. weird juxtaposition of perspective. And usually, you, you're giving more information, and you're not here but you're still given perspective. And I love that he's able to do that from both sides. From He's, he's putting us in the position of her and in the position of the, of the victims at the same time. I mean, that's phenomenal filmmaking. Yeah. He's so good with actors and presenting his ideas. If they're not actors. These, a lot, these people aren't actors. Oh, I met her, too. She's really good at it. Well, she's amazing. Yeah, that's true. She's amazing. 
for for me, where I where I think first realized that I was seeing something really special uh, is the the inhuman. There, there's this inhumane brutality in that beach scene that is not the conventional brutality where you see someone murder someone else and oh, it's terrible. You know, they don't appreciate the value of human life. Uh, the way that that beach scene is established and then escalates mm-hmm. uh, and then the way it finally culminates where you realize there's a baby on the beach. Uh. I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen anything brutal in that way. That, just literally that inhuman. Um, the, the way it escalates because of the people on the beach, there's, there's like a – it's almost like a little set play. Like one of my favorite – I think 10-minute movies is the opening of uh, 28 Weeks Later. It's its own kind of little self-contained movie mm-hmm. with characters and a play. And I kind of felt that way about that whole beach sequence where she comes across the guy and then they see the dog in the water and they see the woman swimming after the dog and they see the man swim after the woman and they bring the man back and then the man goes away and then she uh he kills the the Czech guy, and I mean that's like its own little mm-hmm. drama there, and it's this this just stunning horrific set piece. Uh, and again, I just don't think I've ever seen anything with that kind of brutal inhumanity in it. Is that that one sequence on that beach? And how about the epilogue of that with the baby, or where you oh, hear about it on the radio? It's with Lizzie, it's, where it's, where the motorcycle guy goes marching yeah. out to the beach, and you Green think, oh, it's blanket. Well, he's gonna. He's getting the baby. He's, no, he's cleaning up the towel and leaving the baby. I mean, that is there. I don't know if I've ever seen a moment more chilling than that. That that was just chilling. And then you blend over to the sound of her hearing the baby crying in the next vehicle over, uh, and uh, may actually, may that, and you wonder, well, we're hearing that sound, so the baby's okay. No, that's a different baby. And, uh-huh. And we but, wonder too. Go ahead, Nick. Sorry. It's just it's just him walking down the beach toward the baby, and getting the towel, and that's it, and uh, leaving the baby. It is just stunning. It's especially it, it's just it's gut wrenching that moment. He just gets a towel, uh, and, and it's petrified. Like it makes you like even what, how'd they get the shot without? Oh, I don't even want to think. Traumatizer. I don't. Yeah. I don't even want to imagine that. Jesus. Huh? Uh, they also, it, it, like the the way that sound crosses over Dingus, you wonder, you know, is she wondering about the baby? You know, are we mm-hmm. in? The, is this the perspective? Are we now in this subjective perspective uh, in her head? And she's thinking about the sound of that baby as she hears. She's thinking about that baby as she hears the one in the car next door. Uh, and one of the things that Jonathan Glazer said in this interview um, was that. They, they wanted to avoid there being a eureka moment, like an epiphany where she suddenly develops compassion. And that this is ultimately a story about someone who decides to quit her job. <laughs> and that, that the idea is you, you have, you have this glimmer on Monday, it becomes a hunch on Tuesday, it becomes a notion on Wednesday, and then you turn in your notice on Friday. Is that, and that's, that's, that's the way that Jonathan Glazer put it, is that they didn't want there to be one moment. Like her looking in the mirror after letting the guy with the encephalitis go. Is that what you call it? After letting that, it, that deformed it's film. It's called neurofibromatic. Fibrosibros. Oh, it's totally wrong Latin words on my part. So after letting that guy go, you see her studying herself in the mirror. And I, 
I, I, that he holds that moment for so long that afterwards I wondered, well, was that the Eureka? Like, was that a turning point? And it was a turning it's point. A red herring. But the movie leads up to it. I mean, it leads up to her letting that guy go and deciding to try to become human herself. Right. Um, I thought it was about maybe being becoming a vegetarian because, like, factory farming is kind of like that. So it's like you see it, you just go, ugh. They put all the baby, the male peeps in like the shredder right away. So basically, what's that Richard Linklater? Oh, yeah, Bastard yeah. Nation. Bastard Nation, right. Very good. Science what, was the, what was the other dumb movie we saw about vegetarianism? Species. Uh, uh, no, where... Um, oh, Noah. Noah. Noah is about that. Right. 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 And so she learns something special because he has this physical disability. And then that enables her to rise above and discover humanity. But I, I like what you said about this. This is just another step along yeah. the way. For well, and the way they play that, too, she's incredibly clueless. Like, she's treating him like you would treat anyone, which is kind of, um, I mean, natural. You, you should treat someone like that but she has she seems to have no inkling as to what this guy is going through or what he must feel or experience like she she just has so little concept of humanity that she just looks at that guy the way she would any other person i think i mean i, I, think don't, I don't think so though okay mm, i think i think i agree with tom but let me hear your case yeah go ahead uh, my my case is based on that first the 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 first guy that flirtation in the first in the first hitchhiker we see her pick up which is this really hot flirtation that she has with this guy who takes off his hat and and she says he's got a handsome face and he says he thinks she's gorgeous and they have this this really interesting um uh, chemical Just, that's good well there's there's this thing that happens between them and and i i think she recognizes something different about this guy who has this this disability or whatever it is, she recognizes something else about him because she asks, when was, the, when was the last time you were with a woman? When was the last time you touched somebody? And she talks about his hands and she asks him to give her his hand. I mean, she recognizes there's something different about him and she interfaces with him different than that, that handsome guy who's like sort of hulking. But and, I get the sense thing is that she's kind of like almost running a program. Like, okay, you no, can't okay. say according to human standards, he's got pretty eyes. Uh, you can't say he's got a great build. Uh, like she's having to run down the list of how to flirt with a guy, and eventually it comes down to compliment his hands. And she looks at his hands; sees he has normal hands. But I think it, it just shows this stunning cluelessness. Yeah, and you're right that she's kind of efficiently interfacing with him, but but I don't think she has any understanding what he's been through oh, okay. or, or how different his experience must be. She doesn't completely understand it. I mean, she does to a degree because for whatever reason, she decides to let him go. After she's a fly. You know, that's a great point, Tom. I, I didn't think about that sort of difference. And this sort of almost makes me think about her, the movie Her. Uh, that sort of uh, – I didn't think of her as this computer who's interfacing right. and having to, like, 
make differences based on what my reaction is. And that's part, by the way, of humanity. I mean, she doesn't recoil. She doesn't – like if a guy like that were to suddenly appear in front of me, I would like to think I could behave normally with him and look him in the eye and talk to him like a normal person. And I probably could, but I would have to fight. And I'm, this is my sensation during this scene in the movie too, which is another ingenious bit of the movie. I'm having to fight this um, – it's not really repulsion because there's pity, I guess. I'm having to fight – Looking at this guy with overwhelming pity and, right. and not react to that. I'm, I'm, I'm like, it, it, it's counter to human nature to treat someone who has that monstrous a disability as if they're normal. And that's exactly what she's doing because she is inhuman. Uh, there's a certain inhumanity to the way she talks to him with, with no real understanding of what his life experience must be like. But she pities him less than you do. But we're watching a guy like that in a scene with Scarlett Johansson. Who eventually gets killed by the handlers anyway, I presume. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Poor fella. Um, by the way, okay, does anyone know, uh, was that makeup? I, I meant to, to look that doesn't up. doesn't matter. It's a good scene. I agree. I agree. But it did make me wonder, uh, what, was this was this an actor or was this a fellow who really had this disability cast? It's I, 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 scene. I, I agree. That it's, it's really hard to figure that out because the movie, uh, both in the credits uh, – and and on IMDb does not give us any character names, right. so it's really hard to figure out who plays who. I'm I'm sure that's on purpose. Uh, it's it's an interesting choice because the the book clearly names the the <laughs> character that uh, Scarlett Johansson plays, and now now that I look at Under the Skin again, some some other name is given for her, um, but nobody nobody in the credits as the credits roll is given a character name. So it's right. really hard to figure out who that guy is. Furthermore, by the way, Dingus, as I'm sure you know, the book has all these like crazy words for alien concepts. And right, like the right. book is almost like, like you have to learn Klingon or whatever right. to, read, yes. to read that silly book. Uh, and I, I do love, I love a fellow who can uh, disregard source material. Like just reading yeah. what the book is about and then seeing what this is about. I just love the Jonathan Glazer. Like if I had known that he was doing an adaptation of this this sci-fi book about aliens harvesting human meat. I, I just would have rolled my eyes. <laughs> well, uh, I I love that that for for me when you told me that, and I I haven't seen that part of it, uh, that part of the book where where some weird language shows up. I I think that he just translates that into music, and he let he just lets Michael Levi Levi. I don't know how to pronounce that. Who composed the music? He basically I think lets that lets whoever that is, translate that into music and doesn't bother to give us that language. And just because it is such a nonverbal movie as well. Yeah. Right. But, but I think that a lot of that, the, the way the music shifts when we get into the, the room with the, with the black floor where they sink into, I think there, there's a lot of alien language in there. And it kind of reminded me a lot of these, these aren't things I didn't, I, I understood about punch drunk love, but, until you told me, Tom, that there was this theory about Punch Drunk Love that there were these alien transmissions that <laughs> running through, and you you heard them in the music. And when I heard the music in that going into the room, or at, at certain points when she sees a hitchhiker that she knows she can get, it seems like it's like alien communication music. And so I I just instead of like doing that in actual language or subtitles, it's done in music. I, I I love that you say that, Dingus, because my what I wrote in my notes about the, the music is that the music sounds like it slithers and uncoils. <laughs> <laughs> That's hot. Much like the the skin of the human. 
Uh, Did so that then, make you uh, jump? Oh god, it didn't make me jump. I just Jesus. I was so on edge this whole time. Like yeah. I I really am scared of movies doing like trying to startle me because I'm so easy. And I was constantly on edge watching this. And I'm glad that there were no real jump scares. But I was just so tense during that weird underwater scene. When the guy gets pulled out of his skin, I definitely jumped at that moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because everything there's all so many slow shots. Yeah, before slow that, slow and drawn out, and you don't know what's going to happen. So that if there was some crazy shrieky face that jumped at the screen, I wouldn't know. I mean, I didn't know if that was coming. Uh, and plus, you're looking at penises, and there's just been like, oh my god, an actual erect penis that you never see on right. Exactly, penises, and you're, so you're sort of distracted by that. And then when that happens, it's it's just like what. Ah, Dingus was distracted. <laughs> I was totally distracted. There's but totally- he's right. It's like you never get to see an erect penis. I'm just saying it's a weird rule. <laughs> I see it pretty often, up. personally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hold on. Wait a minute. Back that up. Erase but that's that. what I'm saying. We see them all the time, so why can't we see them in the movie? <laughs> You're not allowed to see them. That, that changes right, the rating when it's, when it's erect. It's- but there's no reason. We, we've had them for thou- hundreds of thousands of years, and now suddenly we can't look at them. And, <laughs> on film. Well, you guys have. I, I've never seen one. <laughs> No, I, I have a question for you guys. So the the scene in the the black room, uh, did that stuff actually happen, or was that a yeah. representation of something? Tell me, tell me what you think was going on there. Oh wait, real quick, real quick, ponder that because I do want to mention this. Uh, Jonathan Glazer originally wanted to do this with no music until a certain point. Um, hmm. And again, this is what he talks about on this 22 minute uh, interview with Film Four that was posted on YouTube. Uh, he was going to do it with no music until after Scarlett Johansson takes up with the guy on the bus and he lives with her. That guy was going to play a record for her, and that then because we're with her experience. We start hearing music in the movie because it becomes part of her experience. She's been introduced to it. And that was how it was originally written. But what happened was, as they were finalizing the script, Jonathan Glazer said that moment, they then had to decide, okay, what song is it going to be? And whatever the song was going to be, he used the word, uh, he said, as they were thinking about that moment, the choice of song was going to be so, and I think he said, quote, arch and uh, important, that it just seemed silly. Uh, so they eventually scrapped that idea and just put music throughout. And uh, he said that Mika Levi's uh, soundtrack, you know, that just felt so right as as they were getting that down. Well, now that song that she hears in his house and starts drumming her fingers to it, and it's like she acts like, what is this earth thing? You well, that's, yeah, and that's the thing is eventually he was like, well, what kind of music would it be? And and what they it's decided, a dumb song. It would be that's... just whatever dumb thing is on right. turn on the radio. <laughs> Yeah. They didn't want it to be some important song that he plays for her. Again, it would probably be on a phonograph yeah. at that point. She listens to news. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so bored that she it has to jump the shark, and then it did. It so didn't jump the shark after that. Sorry, would you say dingus? That's babbling. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, so uh, tell me, did that 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 stuff in the black room, all the underwater stuff, was that a representation? Was that a real thing? The meat sliding into that red slot? Uh, what do you guys think was going on with some of those more stylized scenes? Well, I'm assuming everything we saw is real. Like I'm assuming the white room was real, so the black room would be real, just like on Twin Peaks, bro. What? <laughs> Nothing on Twin Peaks is real, Kelly. One. No, that's a good point. <laughs> Wait, the dwarf's actually walking forwards in your. Vision. No, I think it's all real, and I think the dining room in 2001 was real, and I think the credits are real. Uh, the, uh, the elevator, the hallway to the elevator where all the blood is flowing, is that real? 
Who are you asking? I'm asking anybody who likes Kubrick because I think that thing about the that that corridor with the the red sludge is is a metaphor. Is a quote. No, I think it's a Kubrick quote. Um, but I, yeah, I think that's real because I think that uh, that house is interdimensional right. uh, to translate this into the whatever that is going on between alien worlds. I don't think it's something that anybody's imagining. Is that what you're asking? If, if it's yeah. characters imagining it or if it's real, I think it's I think it's translated into images that we can interpret as pictures. <laughs> I don't. I mean. It, rather than the one and ones, but but yeah, I, th- I think that's what the what those guys are actually experiencing as well as they can. When when those guys are are walking into the floor and winding up underneath, what I love about that scene underneath, where those two guys reach out and touch each other, is this this human contact of w- what is happening to us. And I believe that is real, but I think it's between worlds. Okay. Um, I'm assuming it's real because the one guy's reaction is exactly what I would do if I was there. Like, what? (laughs) What were you going to say? Sorry. Uh, That's something I wondered watching it. Is this a metaphor? Is this this how they're interpreting? You know, are they simply strapped down to a table and they're mentally interpreting this is what's happening to them? But I, I agree with you guys. I do think it's real. And I think we don't really know that until the end where it turns out that she was just wearing a skin and that she's really this right. weird, freaky black thing underneath it, this weird, freaky, skinny black alien uh, with like slimy skin underneath a Scarlett Johansson shell. Uh, I think at that point you realize that, yeah, this weird alternate alien world and this mundane reality are that close, like that tightly intertwined with each other. Uh, and I think that's part of the reveal about you know her skin just simply ripping off, mm-hmm. and she's sitting there holding her face, looking back up at her. Is that everything has been real? Is that this has all been literal stuff that we're seeing? Right, um, right. Although right. she doesn't know what she is, which means was she born under the blue light? No, she, she does. She's she's finding out what she is, but she's also right. she's, she's also taken on. I think that that she's taken on part of her humanity, and that's why she's she's when she takes off. The, the face and looks at herself, I mean, she's changed, right. she started to change into another being and, and, and become a part of another being. And she's, she's mm-hmm. trying to become human or, or, or mm-hmm. reaching out to, to these feelings. And I think looking at that face, which is still alive, by the way, I mean, still blinking and looking yeah. at her. I think that that is still her. I mean, it's it's this just as these two worlds are 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 sort of like uh, Venn diagramming. I think she is as well, or he is, or whatever that. I don't know what you would say about the gender. Uh, uh, one of one of the things that Glazer has said is the movie is about the progression from an it to a her. Right. Okay. Good. Uh, oh wow. And then back. Now, I do think that uh, – I, I like how oblique it is, and I like how there isn't anything like you were talking about, Kelly Wan, with Mission to Mars, where the one tear slides down. Yeah. Like, it's not clear that she is necessarily feeling compassion. Like, all that's clear is her confusion. Uh, and it's not clear exactly what – like, did she really not know that she didn't have a vagina? Did she not know that she couldn't eat and digest food? Um, yeah. You, you see – well, you see her trying these things. Like she's trying the act of sex. Presumably, she would know how that's supposed to go. I mean, for for whatever reason, she's trying things that simply won't work. And I think part of the point of the movie here is 
it's about what it takes to be human and that ultimately and here's i think it's a little metaphorical it's more than just wearing human skin it's understanding compassion it's having the reproductive equipment it takes to be human and the digestive machinery it takes to eat a piece of cake uh and she simply it is not something she will ever be able to do or even i think point of the movie is or even comprehend just like we kind of can't comprehend what its or her world and motives are like i love in the book they make it very clear that the aliens need human meat i think to eat or power generator i don't know whatever i think that's part of what's explained in the book in the movie talk to and they talk to they have names in the book and everything uh but in the movie we don't know where that meat is going or what it's for or why somebody is being sucked dry we never understand any of that just like i think those aliens can never really understand us, um, mm-hmm. right? Be, beyond wearing our skin. So, we, oh, go ahead. So, so I, I do think that it, you know, Dingus, you talk about she's maybe changing, but I think kind of the point of the movie is she can't. You know, we're beyond her understanding, just like they are beyond our understanding. We're scorpions. She's a scorpion. Wait, she's a frog with <laughs> scorpion. But a reason that works, I think, is like we don't know the capabilities of the aliens either. So, like when she awakens. We know it's so. We know so little about their sources and stuff that we can believe. We have to go. We have to go with what we're shown, but we can believe that it's not cheesy because we don't even know what's happening. I'll I'll, I'll accept that, Kelly. You're welcome, <laughs> slaves. So, so Tom, do you think she's not going through a, a metamorph or some sort of change? Uh, I think she does change. I mean, definitely okay. it's like that thing where, you know, there's a glimmer on a Monday, a hunch on a Tuesday. Again, it's about someone deciding to it's quit her job. job. Um, so she's changing in, in that regard, but I don't know that she's necessarily becoming more human or that it is a, a simple can't. matter of becoming more compassionate. You know, she lets the guy go. Um, she, uh, the, the, the fellow with the deformity, she lets him go. Um, but I don't know that, just like the movie doesn't tell us what the heck they're doing, I don't know that the movie really tells us what the change is about or what she's changing towards. Um, well, well, rather I, than okay. active or passive, uh, rather than passive, do you think that she's trying to change? Uh, by quitting her job, yes. Uh, I wasn't sure why she ran out in the middle of the woods. Uh, I wasn't sure. I, by, here's another thing. I thought there was going to be some kind of showdown with the motorcycle handlers. Uh, I wasn't sure what the significance was of them coming after her. Did she know? Did they know where she was? Was yeah. she avoiding some kind of tracking thing? So as far as like ascribing motives or saying things like she got more compassionate or she did come close to becoming human, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I and I think the movie deliberately obfuscates some mm-hmm. of that. Um, but I, I think her going in, ordering a piece of cake and putting it in her mouth is is an indication of her getting this this maybe not epiphany but a realization and trying to change or trying to change trying well, sure. to become something else sure. there's I mean, she there, tries to live with a man she tries to have a relationship right and right live with a man and interface with him in a way other, beyond just the general seduction uh so yeah you're right there but is it compassion does she I, again i don't know why like what what was going on in that scene where she's looking in the mirror uh I, who she's, knows? <laughs> she's seeing. Well, yeah, I don't know. 
Well, I, mean, I don't know, and I love that I don't know. By the way, I'm okay. yeah, I love that too. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I don't. I don't think like it's something like so. Let, let's talk about some of his other movies. Like in Birth, I think you can look at Birth, and and Jonathan Glazer gives you in Birth all the information you need to know to objectively decide what hasn't hasn't happened in the movie. Right. I don't think that's the case in Under the Skin, and I think it's intentional. Is that Under the Skin is about what it is about uh, another creature's inability to be human. It's about what it takes to be human and how it's simply not possible if you're not human. It's about the nature of inhumanity and humanity uh, and how they kind of can't meet. They kind of can't. They can't understand each other. Uh, it's about an alien intelligence. Um, so, so I think there are things that Jonathan Glazer rightly doesn't tell us because he doesn't want us to know. And I would guess he probably didn't even make a decision on in the. Wait, course. wait. Uh, are you saying birth? Is not ambiguous. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> Wait, so yes. so Kelly, is it, this this week is the first time you've seen Birth, right? Yeah, so I'm oh. fresh off it, and I loved it. My favorite line was when so I like hold, hold that thought. I do want to segue to that because I want to talk about the points of commonality between um, Under the Skin, Birth, and Sexy Beast because I think there's some some stuff to talk about. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Me too. Um, um. Uh, actually, well, should we just uh, go on? I, so I do want to talk about the, the ending, then, of Under the Skin. How, in a way, incredibly frustrating at first. Uh, but Well, okay, let me just put it this way. What did you guys think of the ending? Tell me about the ending. How did it work for you? thing is, you've seen it twice. You've experienced the ending twice. Tell me about uh, these experiences. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I love the ending. I don't know how to tell you... Other than I think it's a great ending. Okay. Let me ask you this. Do you have a sense? So, Dingus, you were asking me, did I think that uh, there was, like, active change? Uh, was she becoming compassionate? That sort of thing. Uh, why do you think the movie ends the way that it does? Do you, do you have any sort of theories or ideas? Or uh, are you okay with it just being this kind of abrupt, ambiguous ending? Uh, I don't. I don't know what you mean by ambiguous because I don't think yeah. the well, ambiguous as far as why is the movie ending? Why do they tell this story about an alien trying to understand or become human, and it ends with the alien getting burned? Because you because at the end of a dramatic arc, is either the the protagonist succeeds or fails. She okay. fails, the movie's over. Okay, so that's why I, I don't think she does fail in that way. Well, I think that she can't become what she is trying to be, and she can't get away. Well, I don't know that she's trying to become something so much as trying to discover something, and I think she does. I mean, in that weird sort of, like, attempted rape, and then she gets her skin ripped off, and then she gets burned, and then we see... <laughs> Those are choices. We'll be with her. Go on. I'm sorry. No, her choice to run away from her life, to, as Tom put yes. it, quit her job, I mean, she succeeds in that. She, she's... Uh, I can only... Uh, I, I mean, one of the things I, I love about this movie is that I don't, I don't know how she wound up being put in this. Is she recruited? Is she does she apply for this job? I mean, how does she how does she wind up quitting this job? Is is this something that where if you're an egg on this alien world and you are popped up in a Scarlett Johansson egg, then you have to be thrust down on Earth to harvest? Who knows? But I think she succeeds in what she. She escapes. She escapes from whatever this existence is that she doesn't want to be in anymore. Um, now, her I don't know that her immolation is what she was looking she for as mind. a goal, but the the life that 
the quote-unquote life she had is not what she wanted anymore. She leaves it, and then the motorcycle dudes are tasked with running her down. And this guy who is a logger, not a fireman, I don't think, um, tracks her tracks her down, tries to rape her, and then kills her. And then we see the smoke drifting into the heavens, which I think is... I don't know. For me, a hopeful moment. I I, I, I tend to take hope out of these weird little ending moments rather than despair. So um, I don't I know. Don't. If you, well, that's that's how I look at it. I, I mean, I try I, to find despair. She, in she peels off her skin. She looks at herself. She she comes to a, an idea of her identity uh, as as far as she can as that creature. I mean, Did, where where are we ever going to actualize ourselves? Who knows? But I think that this particular creature gets as far as she can. Did you read wow. the ending of the like not the ending of the book thing? Is because I never read the ending. But did you read about what happens in the end of the book? No, no, I did not. And and I and I actually it was a very weird moment where I I ordered this book. It came. I I, I read the first couple of pages. I was kind of excited about the voice of it. Tom picked it up. Was like, let me just look at the end. And then he, <laughs> and then he was like. Oh God! And he put it down. And I was like, "What?" So, <laughs> so here's my. Th- I, I, I don't. Oh God. <laughs> well, here, here's my theory, and I won't ruin the end for you. So one of the one of the ridiculous things about the the book, I'm sure it's, it sounds like the book is actually kind of cool, but I, I don't think it can hold a candle to what Jonathan Glazer does with the movie. And and I have a theory that Jonathan Glazer and I forgot uh, Campbell, Walter Campbell, the fellow who adapted the book with him, must have gotten to the end and thought, "Oh, jeez, what are we going to do with this?" Because the ending. <laughs> really just seems absurd to me and it seems way too on the nose um but i think what they've done with it is they have managed to keep the general sort of thematicness of what happens at the end and and i'll just say this thing is i think the end of the book is very much like the end of the movie transcendence uh and i'll leave you with that awesomeness (laughs) but i think what they have done with specifically under the skin the movie the ending there i found it immensely unsatisfying that we didn't get a showdown with the motorcycle people that we you know we weren't going to find out more stuff that she simply gets burned alive in the snow i mean i was like what and it was only upon reflection that i do think i that i i think i appreciate what jonathan glazer is doing here and i just want to throw a couple of uh of theories at you guys so uh, the the movie is about for a long time uh, sexual predation, specifically of a woman towards men, and not even just predation, basically using sexuality. And and one of the things that I love about this, I, I think that Under the Skin is a movie for for men. And I'm not saying women won't like it, women won't appreciate it. Uh, Dingus, we have a mutual friend who I think loved this as well. Uh, she's a woman. But the reason that I think it's a movie for men, for men to appreciate in a unique way, is because it posits, as well as being very nonverbal, it suggests that this alien presence, it, it represents as otherness, it uses a woman and feminine sexuality to represent otherness. And if that's not one of the great mysteries that men as a gender have struggled with, I don't know what is. Uh, and so I think that there's something as a man when you watch this movie that is unique in, that, that women don't necessarily uh, have the same reaction. Um, you know, you're watching this, 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 an, an alien represented by a woman and you know, if men don't understand women and they don't understand aliens, so, so there you go. So, so that's one thing. And what what this woman this is, is sort of, if I can't have it, then I'll destroy it. It's what now? 
If I can't have it, then I'll destroy it. No, 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 not at all. No. So, so what she's doing is she is using she's predating, praying, she's praying on men using sexuality. By the time the movie is over, she will also be the victim of this sexual predation. Is that there's this turnaround that goes on? You know, when that truck driver who looks at first like he's going to help her and be friendly, and he engages her in this in the movie's terms, crazy long monologue. I mean, there's so much dialogue at that moment. There's really not that much. You can't understand it. Oh my God, this guy is talking. They've given him reams of dialogue. But, you know, she, he engages her and just has a conversation with her and he seems friendly and kind. But it turns out that he is a sexual predator. And that's exactly what she has been doing to attract her prey. Now, her predation is for something different. It's to get this meat. His predation is simply a, a, a man with a you know, he's a, he's a rapist. He's a, he's a man driven by this sexual dysfunction where he's going to rape a woman. Um, so I think there's this sense of turnaround there. Um, similarly, her victims are immersed, they're submerged in darkness and dissolved. She is basically, uh, they're, they're, they're submerged in water and darkness. She, on the other hand, uh, burns to death in this blinding whiteness. You know, there's a sense of, and there's even this, this scene early in the movie, there's the black room and the white room, and for whatever reason, the white room is where she takes a woman and puts on that woman's skin. The black room is where the men go. You know, that's where men are dissolved. So there's this this kind of pattern that the men get taken to a dark, wet place and dissolved. This mm. woman goes to a white place early on in the movie, she suffers kind of an opposite fate where she goes to this white place and she gets burned to death in this blinding whiteness. But maybe there's this sense of gender, too, where she meets her fate in this white room, in the whiteness of the snow versus the blackness where men have died. And that maybe that that's kind of this visual representation of her attaining gender. You know, she becomes the victim of a, of male sexual predation. That's something that, main, that, that that women are subjected to. She goes to this white room. She has the exact opposite fate of the men who are submerged and dissolved in that she in a dark, wet place and that she is burned to death in a white place. Um, so well, I think there's this kind of visual poetry maybe suggesting that, yes, it's a terrible end. She's she's dead. But there's this visual poetry maybe suggesting that she has attained something, and that's a distinctness f- from men, you know, a progression from an it. She's born in a white room, too. Um, yes. Yep. Is that part of your theory? Yeah, well, exactly. Is that the the white room is where a girl is where the the you know the the female skin is taken? Do we ever see another white room? By the way, is it just that that room where uh Hanson is skinned? Yeah. Huh. And when the motorcycle guy interrogates her, it's a, is it the same black room or is it some courtroom? I forget. Not interrogation. No, no, it's, 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 it's the it's a black room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he does this awesome thing where it's like north, south, east, west. And he does this as well on the on the highlands when he's standing there. He, ah, right. he does this thing where he like faces her on all sides and then moves on. It's this mm-hmm. weird, alien thing. It, but it's this it's ritualistic. Uh-huh. Well, or it's it's his job. Uh, how did you guys feel about uh, Dingus? I can guess how you're going to answer this uh, about Scarlett Johansson. Wait, who are you asking? 
Uh, you guys. So, Dingus, I know you mentioned you thought she was really good in this. Yes. Uh, I thought she was incredible. I thought she did a great job, and and I like that she did this movie. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of actresses who could have done it, uh, but it's fascinating that she chose this movie. I would love to, and I haven't looked at any interviews that she's done or, found, or read anything about why she chose to do this or how she came upon this particular project, but I think she does a great job. I mean, because she just... It's really difficult for an actor who's been playing Black Widow for the last 20 years or however long she's been in Avengers movies to just suddenly do nothing. I mean, and she's doing so much with doing nothing. That's not easy to do. I think Mm -hmm. she's great. And I'm not a big Scarlett Johansson fan. Uh, There are Mm -hmm. things that really irritate me that she does that I think that, that I don't think she's very good in. But I think she's awesome in this. Uh, I, I don't. Th- I, I think Jonathan Glazer would concur. I don't think this movie would have been made without her. I mean, I think it took her yeah. celebrity to get this made. And he he has said that he originally wanted to do it with a nobody, like with someone who wasn't recognizable. Yeah. Uh, but the, it would have never gotten made with it without her. Um, and and part of that is, I don't know. I don't know if, I, you know, maybe I'm being crass, but part of it is. She's naked in it, and and people are going to get excited about seeing that. But it's head horrified. Seeing her naked isn't something that is particularly turning me on in this movie. What? Um, I'm sorry. (laughs) Tough room. (laughs) Wow, I thought she was her her nakedness was glorious in this movie. Oh no, no, even to turn glorious, but it's not. I just didn't think it was. It wasn't something that was turning me on in that moment. Um, and I, and I think that's a bold choice on her part. She's not, she's not shot in a way that shows this sort of playboy model, pornography, beautiful, airbrushed look. She's just her. And she, she's extremely sexy. It's just that it's, it's that's not, not the movie's about. that's not what the movie's about. And I think that's so bold and so brave of her. I mean, I mean, and so when, when you say that, Tom, I'm just thinking of, did they think of that as a consideration of you're not only going to be in this, but you're going to be nude and we're going to market it in some what, where we can as far as that's concerned? Because because she's such a celebrity and she's so recognizable. Uh, and again, this is something that Jonathan Glazer said. I'll be, I'll be su- supplying the voice of Jonathan Glazer for uh, – not the literal voice, but I'll be uh, just conveying his remarks for the podcast. Uh, he, he had some misgivings, of course, about having a super famous person like Scarlett Johansson. And he really did want it to be someone not recognizable to help with this idea of it's an alien. Um, but what happened is as they were shooting and as they were doing the makeup and they gave her that wig and she put on her terrible British accent, uh, <laughs> that, that the, the method, now bear with me, this is how he put it, uh, the method and the narrative became the same. Namely, you had the, the artifice of this alien, uh, in human skin. And you have the artifice of Scarlett Johansson trying to be unrecognized in that wig, doing the British accent, just talking to normal people. Uh, and I, I feel that it, 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 in a way, is kind of key to making it work yeah. because you're like, wait, that's Scarlett Johansson, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, I think it is. And there is almost this otherworldliness, too, about celebrity. Like when you see a celebrity on the street – 
it's like you're 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 like one step above actual reality. Like things get get elevated and different. It's odd to be in the same room as somebody who's super famous. Um, so seeing seeing Scarlett Johansson trying to just pretend to be a normal person, uh, <laughs> and just chatting with random Scottish dudes on the street. You know, Jonathan Glazer, the way he put it was the method and the narrative. You know, what they were doing as far as shooting the movie and the story they were telling, that there was this overlap there um, that I really liked. So was she thrust upon him? Get it? No, she actually – her well, I, I think he'd been probably courting her for a while with the idea to do it. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Uh, and she Wait, said, you said he didn't want her to ban it, I thought. Well, he didn't want anybody famous. You know, he just wanted to get an, uh, what he calls a, a nobody, you know, somebody completely unrecognizable. But that, that never would have, you know, he never would have gotten the funding for it. So he realized that. He realized he was going to have to get a celebrity. And it sounded like uh, he had sent her the script several times and there had been negotiations with her. Um, it sounded like they went, of course, to the normal channels and they cast her. It's not that he didn't want her. It's that he just didn't want a celebrity. Right. But once he realized he needed that to get to get it made. Uh, and I think he, just like I, I think he did great work with her. I'm with Dingus. I mean, her it, yeah. in one way, you can sort of describe it as a Terminator like performance where she doesn't do a lot of emotion. But there's just a, there's there's a no, lot more. No. Than that going on. I mean, I, I do think. It's more like Charlize Theron and Monster, I think. Okay, okay, I can see that, but but with less, but more impassive, I think. Well, yeah, yeah, but yeah, okay. Um, well, not even like with celebrity actors, so it's weird that he, like after Nicole Kidman and Ben Kingsley, you'd think I can make anyone. Well, they're already good. <laughs> yeah, but she's good. I think she's a good actor. This is her best work. Actress. Yeah, she's good in other movies, isn't she? You haven't you haven't seen her, have you? No, but that's just her voice. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. I, th- I think but she's the, both she's the she's only great. actor in this movie. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's not entirely true. I mean, there, you know, like the guy playing the fellow that she lives with, he was cast. Um, uh, the motorcycle guy, I'm sure, was cast. Um, she's certainly the only recognizable actor. Well, that, that's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. Um, hmm. In in Sexy Beast and Birth, I mean, you've got plenty of people whose names you know. Right, I mean, sure. and they're at their in you. They're actual they're actors. The too. They're actors doing performances. This, this you do have a sense of like there's reality television going on every now and then. It's uh, all right, weird. so uh, so points of commonality with Sexy Beast and uh, Birth. What did you guys think? I thought Birth was ambiguous too, because the kid in that knew stuff that he would only have known if he was. That's not ambiguous. That's le- not ambiguous. Yeah, yeah, that's leaning towards the solution to the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But there's also <laughs> evidence. Clear. But he goes, "Oh, by the way, I was I was lying," which he wouldn't say if it was true. Yes, he would, and he yes, explains he why he says it, even though it's not true. He- but he wouldn't smile when they take his picture. <laughs> if you believe that swap smile is sincere, then Cameron Bright hasn't done his job. Wait, wait. Why would the letters be? <laughs> that was uh, Ender. Uh, so uh, with that, I, I, I do recommend seeing Birth. I think Birth is uh, a movie that reveals itself gradually. I feel very strongly that it's not ambiguous, that it is uh, – I, I would encourage folks to watch it, uh, that it has uh, evidence to clearly not just support but demonstrate a certain event or happening or point of view on what some people think is yeah, ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah. The more times I watch it, I watch it again. It's just so clear. Yeah. It's so clear. Uh, <laughs> but but okay, so points of commonality with uh, uh, under the skin. Do you guys- Gender roles. Oh, sort of the boyishness of Nicole Kidman's haircut. Is that what you're touching on? 
Well, no. Well, she looks like Rosemary's Baby, vulnerable, and then in this uh, fishnets well, equal. Okay. I would say Cameron Brightmore because he has this weird impassive um, ah. thing that she's doing, and and he does that all through that uh, the, the opening when he's in the lobby of the hotel, and any time that somebody talks to him, it, it's almost as if. And one of the things I love about Birth is that. Uh, I, birth starts, and then we get this ten years later thing that happens. And and what I lo- love about my feeling about birth is that it's almost like a double birth. That 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 it's, that Sean is being born two times, and we're seeing his his rebirth. And it's and and it reminds me of the way. You know, when, when Scarlett Johansson is driving around that van, it very much reminds me of the way that Cameron Bright is like sitting on that bench and he's walking through the halls of the hotel or he's, he sneaks into the party. It's, it's almost like he's come into this body for the first time and he's just figuring out the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also has this dual personality of, of the other Sean who has lived as a 10 year old boy. So, so, I really see a commonality between the way Cameron Bright plays the character and the way Charlotte, uh, Scarlett Johansson plays the character. That's they all have characters who give up successfully. They're all trying to give up something. They're, I think Glazer is fascinated with the imagery of total immersion, of things underwater. Uh, and that's kind of... A, uh, well, well, there's just very specific things, of course, in birth, with the initial baptism idea, uh, and Cameron Diaz and Nicole Kidman in the tub... Uh, and specifically him going under the water and coming out and telling her what he tells her when he makes a decision. Uh, but, uh, the immersion of, the immer, uh, Cameron Bright, sorry. Uh, the immersion in Under the Skin, very obvious, of course, with the victims. But in Sexy Beast, there's yeah. that whole bit with the pool that starts with Ray Winstone atop the pool with his big old gut just floating around in the sun. And then after this immersion experience that he has, because if I'm not mistaken, you just watched it, Dingus, isn't there a really cool like underwater heist thing where they flood a bank and then they swim down and, and raid all the safety deposit boxes? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. a terrible plan. But yeah, that, that is the whole, that is that whole thing, but it starts with him next to the pool. But even more than that. Well, Don and, Logan ends up buried under the pool and oh, yeah. filled with water. Yeah, but, but even more than that, the, the first visual thing of Sexy Beast, and this is something that our friend Alexandra saw when we watched Sex, Sexy Beast is this picture of the sun, uh, in the same sort of like, Way that the beginning of, <laughs> the white dot. of that white dot it it looks like the same sort of it's like a visual quote. Doesn't it's it that, have? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go, no, go ahead. Doesn't it have Ray Winstone like basically like muttering things though. There's this oh weird... no no he's like oh, it's hot. Oh, right right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. But that that first image is of the sun in the same way that. When you when you when you're in the theater and you're watching, this is why I wish people would see Under the Skin in the theater. That that very Kubrickian. It's like just like what is that dot? Is that just something that the theater's doing? Wait, it's getting bigger. It's getting right. bigger, and it eventually is becomes an eyeball. Yeah, exactly. And so the the sun at the beginning of uh, of Sexy Beast is is very much that. But I didn't think about the underwater imagery. But yeah, there is that whole heist. It's a terrible idea for a heist. Oh. 
because they, they have to they have to drill they have to drill they have to drill yeah. and then when the water finally breaks through it's like that moment in gravity when well gee all the water's rushing out and how are we going to get these guys out of the current of the water and then they're all floating in and and stabbing it uh, at um, uh, safety deposit boxes but it works right if they're stealing water it'd be good it works uh, as far as it works but damn good good lord Ian McShane is awesome Jesus. The thing is, you should see a movie called 44 Inch Chest. Uh, if someone burns Scarlett Johansson alive, I'd fuck the smoke. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees, and I'm caught in between. Counting one, two, three, beat a pun, that's free, getting down with three, the peak, everybody loves me. I had to burn it earlier, so I was. So there's a. I, I want to point out, this is from a, a movie studio. A, new, a distribution company, a new distribution company. Under the Skin is distributed by a company called A24. Don't know why they're called that. Uh, I want to tell you guys about some of the movies that this company has done. They have done a little movie we saw called Spring Spring Breakers? No, what was that called? Mm. Spring Break. Spring no, Breakers. Spring Breakers. Right. Yeah. They have done a movie we saw, Dingus and I, called The Spectacular Now. Mm. Huh. Wait, is that the one you didn't like? Yeah, I hated it. Sort of dingus. They've got a movie coming out called uh, Obvious Child, a real Sundancey looking thing, where, where Dingus pointed out that the lead actress was from TV. And they you and your obsession uh, with TV acting. Uh, well, but well, they, the name of it is also it's it's based on a Paul Simon song called Obvious Child, and it's about somebody having a child. It's just uh, it's like a Juno thing. Yeah. yeah uh, but so so that. You might think, oh, well, why? Well, they, at least they picked up under the skin. But here's the exciting thing: they've also they've also got this current a movie out called Lock with Tom Hardy, which I kind of want to see. I don't know anything about it. C H or K? Uh, L O C K E. Um, but they also have a movie coming out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you look at the things that they have coming out, this company A24, the distributor that distributed Under the Skin, they also distributed a movie I really, really like called Enemy with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh. They've got they picked up some kind of zombie movie with Anna Kendrick, Audrey Plaza, and Dane DeHaan called Life After Beth. But more to the point, the next movies from J.C. Chandor, Lynn Shelton, and uh. David Michaud. These what? guys are distributing. Yeah. <laughs> so A24, keep doing what you're doing. We'll cut the, slack, uh, cut the slack for your spectacular nows and your spring breakers. <laughs> wow. Maybe it's too much, though. Man, we're blue it's tongue with you. <laughs> Maybe it's like Scott Johansson eating the cake and there's just like, too much going on. Don't spit it out, Kyle. Sure. Don't spit it out. <laughs> Maybe she wanted to spit it out. That was the part. All right. Let's do a three by three. Who's was uh, this this week? This is mine. This is your favorite interrogations. You have to ask. It's Dingus's. Right. So, right. so, Kelly, you're going next, right? You're yeah. doing next week's Kelly Wan, so give us your number three pick for a favorite interrogation. My number three is in the movie, the second Rambo movie, where they're torturing him, and then he gets off the bed springs and, like, fucking kills everybody. Because I like interrogations. That... Are they torturing him or interrogating him? Uh, they're trying to get him to confess to something. Do you remember how they torture slash interrogate him in the first Rambo movie? Because I saw the first Rambo when I was too young to appreciate this. Do you remember what they do? The first First Blood? Yeah, First Blood. The cops? They shave him and put a hose on him to make him admit. No, they're going to shave him dry. Like, without shaving cream. And as a kid, I remember thinking, so? Big deal. I'd never shaved. I was like, what's the big deal with that? 
they're just going to shave him dry. Does Pops. it hurt or something? Yeah. <laughs> but I remember that's supposed to be a terrifying thing. Like they, they're telling him they're going to do it. And he's like, no, don't do that. And they, like it, it, it yeah. seems like it's a dire thing. As a kid, I was like, what? So what? They're shaving Rambo dry. Who cares? It reminds me of when he was, it reminds me of when he was tortured in Nam. That's how they tortured him when he was. They shaved him dry? Yeah, they shaved him dry. It did give him flashbacks, you're right, though. And Razor Burn. All right, so we don't hear a lot of uh, Rambo movies in the 3x3s, so thank you for that. I think it's my first one, but I remember thinking, oh, fuck, Rambo's going to die. They're interrogating him too fiercely. Oh, like ease up. Even though he's John Rambo, ease up. I think he he uses the microphone as a weapon because they're trying to make him say to the guy, to Murdoch, that he's not being tortured. Murdoch. Does sound more like torture than interrogation, uh, Dingus. Well, do we need a ruling on this. There's some overlap, isn't there? Well, no. With the, with my well, I, I there is uh, torture can take place during interrogation. I I particularly chose interrogations yes. that didn't have torture going on in them. Uh, um, no, sir. But uh, I didn't necessarily uh, narrow okay, so the topic. You, well, Tom would let please, me ask please questions. Please don't just blurt, blurt out other topics. Well, uh, are there other titles? Uh-huh. Your, your choice for number three is, as I wrote it down, the second Rambo movie. So you're done now. All right. You do your next title at number two. Don't blurt out anything else. Just wait. Yeah, because my number three was going to be Starsky and Hutch, but now that Kelly Wand has already mentioned it, I'm changing it. <sighs> Kelly Wand, my number three favorite interrogation is in The Avengers. And here's the tricky part. There are two interrogations in The Avengers, and one is a setup for the second one. So the first one, of course, is when we meet Natasha Romanoff. That's her name. Yeah, Black Widow. We meet Scarlett Johansson, and she's being interrogated by, like, a Russian dude. And she gets a phone call, and you find out the whole time that the interrogation was actually she was in control, and she was trying to get information. Later on in the movie, she goes to talk to Loki when he's in his, like, Hulk tank. In his little in prison, and she's she's just talking to him, and we find out, and it feels like such not a cheat. You know, Joss Whedon is so good at weaving together the little character interactions, and as Scarlett Johansson is talking to Loki, Loki thinks he gets the upper hand on her, and that he's totally pwned her, but... In a callback to the first interrogation scene in the movie, it turns out, nope, she was interrogating him, and she got exactly the information she needed. I love that little touch, and it's just one of the many reasons I love The Avengers. Um, huh. So there you go. There's my number three pick, The Avengers. What do you think of that, Kelly Wand, as our resident Avengers naysayer? The first well, one's good. The first Avengers? <laughs> no, no, the first interrogation's good. Oh, no, but what's great is that she just says, thank you. Right. <laughs> she's so I mean he he she makes him think that she's flustered. Like she's leading him along and when she drops that and she just lets him know that she got the information that she needed. That's a great little it's like a come up its moment. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Kelly. There weren't too many come up with Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> uh but it's with Tom Hiddleston. He's the one who gets the come up Yeah. All right, forget what I said. Dingus, <laughs> what is your number three pick for an interrogation? All right, here's a quote from it. The reason I was so sleepy is because I'd smoked some marijuana and I was knocked out. I didn't want to have to tell you guys that. Yeah, what's the number three pick for a favorite interrogation? All right, I'll try it again. (laughs) The reason I was so sleepy is that I'd smoked some marijuana and I... Oh, it's Australia. I didn't didn't want to have to tell you. Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom. Yeah, that's that's Animal Kingdom. This is uh, Josh or Jay uh, being questioned the first time by Detective Leckie. 
It's mm. uh, it's this great sly. Uh, it's just, it it really is. And and this is what's weird is that I, I when I was first thinking about this topic, I I had first thought about just doing your favorite interviews in movies, which is still an open topic. Um, but what's great about this is that Lecky, when he's interrogating Jay, he's really treating it kind of as an interview, and it sets up what happens to to Josh for the rest of the movie. And so it's just Lecky asking him various questions about, you know, because the cops have just been killed the night before, and he's and he's just asking him, you know, where, where were your uncles and what happened? And everything that develops during this interrogation, when he's when he's talking to to uh, to um, what's his, what's God, what's that Josh's? Is, no, what's uh, Freshberg, Freshenberg? James Freshman, Freshberg, Fresh, Fresh, Freshman. James Fresh, no, Fresh. No, it's not Fresh. I, I apologize for not looking up his name, but I love this act. I love the way what he does in this. Um, uh, it's just sort of setting him up for what what's great about this interrogation is that Lecky played by Guy Pierce is is clearly just it, it's like a great cross examiner setting up for something that's going to happen later and what he's doing in, during this interrogation is just setting up some things that he'll be able to knock down later on either in another interrogation or in a personal meeting with the guy it's just Putting up little bits, and and he, he asks him how his uncles reacted to when one of their brothers was killed. Uh, they cried. Did you actually see the guy cry? What did he do? And so then, uh, then Jay like puts his fingers up to his eyes and like squeezes them like a baby. Like this is how he cried. And you just see Guy Pierce going, yeah, okay. Um, so this that into that first interrogation with Jay in Animal Kingdom. All right, Kelly Wand, what is your number two favorite interrogation in a movie? Wait, what about yours? Uh, I will tell you mine after you tell me yours. Wait, I thought I did one already. You you did the second Rambo movie. So this is your number two favorite interrogation. Oh, Usual Suspects. Do you want to elaborate? No. (laughs) Okay. Well, because it's the whole movie, so it... You think it's an interrogation, but it's really a misinterrogation. Like when I accept your bluffs. Ah, sneaky. All right. Uh, my number two favorite is, and I, I feel this is like the cheap easy one. I can't help it. Um, but I, I just love how in Dark Knight, um, the Joker's plan to ruin Harvey Dent and Batman simultaneously wins. Like the Joker wins his main plot to, to defeat the heroes, Harvey Dent is the good guy who becomes Two-Face and, and, and Batman, and it, it, it all comes down to him giving information to Batman in this interrogation scene. Um, and I'm not super crazy about poor Christian Bale's Batman impression, but you can just do no wrong with how amazing Heath Ledger is as the Joker um, and how he is so completely in control even as he's getting beat up and how you eventually find out he – intended for all of this to happen how dark knight ultimately you know this movie's kind of a, it, it's not a conventional superhero movie it's like a greek tragedy about these heroes being brought down and that the genius of dark knight is that the the payoff for the joker's plan is that interrogation he defeats both harvey Dent and batman there but what happens the villain has defeated the heroes but the villain himself can't defeat 
the common people. You know, it's it's the uh, Dark Knight ends with the Joker not being able to beat people, but he can beat the superheroes. Mm. Um, so he is the bandit. Uh, and it's specifically that interrogation scene where uh, the villains are, are defeated there. Uh, I love that. Uh, but didn't that scene turn out to be just Michael Caine's hallucination? Uh, Kelly Wan, the third Batman movie is not canon any longer. We're, we're taking that out. Dingus, what is your number two favorite interrogation scene? All right, here's a quote from it. Frosty the Snowman espouses a pagan belief in magic. Snowman becomes comes to life when an enchanted hat is put on his head. I feel like I knew this. Sounds like Quentin Tarantino. Or or Pitch Perfect. Or John Leguizamo, for some reason. If the music were more somber, people would would realize the images are disturbing and this and the song heretical. Ah, Francis McDormand from Almost Famous. <laughs> That's his Wahlberg though. Uh, wait, she's not a cop in that movie, Tom. I feel like I knew this, but I don't recognize the lines. I, I, I can't place the lines. All right, I'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a line you will absolutely know. Uh, what are we talking about? <laughs> Very good. Uh, Kelly right, hasn't so, seen this, though. Uh, this is You haven't seen Doubt? Uh, I don't. All, all the one-word title movies, I always get mixed up. He right. did see Joe versus the Volcano, which is another John Patrick Shanley. Well, that's movie. all one word. So he's got that going for him. <laughs> all right. So this is the movie Doubt, um, and what what I, you know, I wasn't sure if I could really swing this as an interrogation scene. Uh, and then I watched it, and there's this moment where um, Sister Bovier, uh, where Meryl Streep goes over and she raises the the blinds, and and the sun just shines down on Philip Seymour Hoffman's face. And it's just like that moment where in that classic interrogation scene when when they swing the light over to shine on the guy's face. It's that perfect moment. And it's this great uh, good cop, bad cop kind of interrogation, but the, the good cop doesn't know what she's doing at all. She's kind of fumbling and getting in the way. This is Amy Adams. She, she's like, can I get more tea? Uh, and then uh, and then Philip Superhoffen goes and he cranks down the blinds again and Meryl Streep goes on, goes over and turns on the, uh, the desk lamp. So it's very clear that this is a, an interrogation. And th- there's this one great moment where, where, where Philip Seymour Hoffman's character goes, um, did you want to discuss the pageant? Is that why I'm here? Or... Is this what you want to discuss? And Meryl Streep says, this. And it's clear that this is an interrogation. They're trying to find out what happened with this boy. And, uh, oh, man, I, I just love this. So this is doubt. All right, Kelly Wand, what is your number one pick? It's an interrogation that is better than Rambo or Usual Suspects. What do you have for I'm us? I'm going to do a line for it. Okay. From it. Uh, <clears throat> is it safe? <laughs> I think I know this one. Oh, yeah, we might all this, know this one. This, Kelly Wand, it is uh, The Lord of the Rings, and it's Gandalf asking Frodo about the ring. No, it's Wahlberg <laughs> interrogating the plant and happening. Well, When's the last time you saw Marathon Man? Does it hold up? Years, years. It always held up, it seemed like, whenever I saw it. Okay. But that's torture, so I guess it doesn't count, because they're really... He anti- does need information, to be fair, though. Unlike, I don't know in Rambo if they're just being sadistic, but to be fair, Olivier does need to know where his diamonds are, so... 
But he doesn't even know if he if that dude knows. Which is the nightmare of it, isn't it? Like, what if you're being interrogated and you don't have the answer to something? Yes, yeah, it's, it's safe. It's very, very safe. No, it's dangerous. It's terribly dangerous. Yeah, he doesn't know what to say. He says everything. My dentist keeps asking me that when I go to the dentist. <laughs> and, uh, I can't talk while they're doing it. So then on a related note, my number one pick is I, I can't uh, – and this is such a sign of the times – is that I can't hear the word interrogation without wanting to proceed it with the word enhanced. Uh, you know, It used to be an interrogation scene was, as Dingus was mentioning, the cop shining the light in the dude's face and asking him where he was on the night of the 14th or whatever. Now when I hear interrogation, I just stick enhanced in front of it, and I think of waterboarding, and I think of all the stuff in the wake of 9-11. Uh, so I, I think my favorite movie interrogation would have to be the, the processes in the first part of Zero Dark Thirty, mm. where uh, we – you know, the movie is very much about – the brutality and how the people thought they were doing the right thing and how utterly ineffective it was when we used enhanced interrogation on detainees. Um, now, part of the beauty of Zero Dark Thirty is that people can watch that movie and come away with it and think exactly what they wanted to think before going in. Namely, yeah, enhanced interrogation worked. That's how we found Osama bin Laden. Um, it's not that hard to conveniently ignore a couple of moments in the movie and draw that conclusion. Um, but I think if you pay closer attention and if you're a little bit more in tune with what I think Catherine Bigelow is trying to say, the point of Zero Dark Thirty is that, yes, we got information from enhanced interrogation. However, it never stopped any of the attacks. And if there's an argument to be made that it helped us find Osama bin Laden, the only argument is that it corroborated data we already had. Uh, so for, for me, uh, Zero Dark Thirty as a kind of document, a, a dramatization, of course, but a, a document, a story about what we did to get information after 9-11 uh, and what interrogation means now when I hear the word, uh, that's what I think of as my, my favorite example of, of interrogation in a movie. Uh, and the line I would have, I guess, is Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday. Uh, which is the the guy telling when the terrorist attack is going to happen when he doesn't know, and he's just saying <laughs> random things. Why are there all those days? <laughs> all right, Dingus, what is your number one favorite uh, movie interrogation? Uh, all right, my number one has this quote to it. Um, is there any way you can explain your fingerprints around her neck? Hmm. I don't know, but whoever's being interrogated, it sounds like he's got him dead to rights. Yeah. All right, yeah, so the the cop has said your fingerprints were lifted off the bruises around her neck and she says I don't I don't understand it and she starts she her voice breaks at that moment. Oh, Dingus, you're doing non-actors again. You're using non-act you're doing a scene that involves total non-actors, if I'm not That's mistaken. Totally absolutely right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so and, and, and by the way, also another movie Kelly Wand has never seen. Yeah, and I don't see any movies that aren't sure of themselves. Like well, you, you don't see movies with one word as a title, apparently. It's uh, more of a guideline than a rule. <laughs> uh, so this is from the movie Bubble. Um, oh, I want to see this one. Uh, this is a Steven Soderbergh movie. And Wait, hold, it, hold that thought, Dingus, real quick. Kelly, why would you want to see Bubble? Because you told me to. Oh, okay. Wow. I thought maybe you'd heard something about it that made you want to see it. No, Bubble can be a tough sell. Like if you tell somebody what Bubble, you can't tell somebody what Bubble's about without spoiling things. And if you describe the process, and 
the general sentiment. Like, I, I think Bubble's a tough sell, so I'm glad to hear you want to see it. Oh. I've seen Bubble Boy. Yeah, I don't see that. with Jill and all. Oh. Yeah. Wait, got, isn't that got... what John Travolta is in a bubble? No, no, it's Jake Gyllenhaal. It's a parody of the John Travolta. Oh. But Gyllenhaal has two A's and I think two L's and Bubble has two B's. Uh, so, so Dingus, what? Uh, so, so go ahead. I, I cut you off. So, Steven Soderbergh movie. So Dingus. <laughs> That's the response Stanley Kelly says. Well, watching Under the Skin uh, definitely made me think about Bubble, and then I remembered this interrogation Steve scene. Kelly one. The skin with, of a bubble. With uh, with Martha, sure. who's played by Debbie uh, Deborah Reiner, I think is her name, uh, and she's being questioned by and I and this is another one of those things where it's really tough to figure out who which actor plays which because they're using real people to play these parts. But what I love about this interrogation scene, uh, and it and it's just it's this this woman who's um, being questioned about the death of uh, of she she's. She's a coworker. I mean, you just see the word. I don't have to explain bubble. If you if you haven't seen it, I would ask you to do so. Um, but what's wonderful about this interrogation scene is that the interrogator, as he's asking the questions, and there's this wonderful. Uh, oh man, the the way this is filmed, and when you watch uh, when you watch Bubble, and you watch the, it, it, Martha's is like sort of uh, being processed and taken into the interrogation room. But between that, there's this editing where the the guy who's going to be doing the interrogator interrogating <laughs> the questioning is in a in a coffee shop, just sort of sitting there having a cup of coffee, and you can see. He's considering what he's going to have to do. Uh, and then he goes into the room and he says, look, tell me everything that happened again. Because he's already questioned her at her home. Uh, and so now he's got her in the actual room. Uh, and he's just saying, explain everything to me. Okay, work me through it again. And, and But it, it's just a guy. It's just this dude. He's not this super slick actor like Guy Pierce in, in Animal Kingdom. He's, he's just a guy. And he's working me through it. And he's like, but the thing is... This is what we found out. Your fingerprints are on her neck. So this is where you're going to help yourself. And what's awesome about this character is in the interrogation room, this is when she realizes what happens and when she comes to a realization of, of who she is. And, uh, and you hear it sort of break in her voice. And that Steven Soderbergh, uh, one of his amazing talents as, an, as a director, is, is getting this out of people who are not actors. Um, so this this particular moment where where he he breaks her by telling her and revealing to her who she is is this. Oh. So uh, bubble. One of the reasons it's a tough sell is it's a super mumblecore movie with no famous actors, and even as you're watching it, the actors who are in it are so weirdly low energy. Like I think of the young boy in that uh, not young boy. I mean, he's a 20 year old dude or whatever. The the main actor in Bubble Dingus. That guy is so like he just is so incredibly downbeat. I mean, he's fascinating to watch, but good lord, he is so low key. Um, but still, regardless, and, and certainly the woman, uh, I think you said her name was Debbie Reiner, the woman playing the lead actress, uh, she's also just very downbeat, very straightforward. There's no glamour to it. Uh, as I said, very kind of mumblecore, a lot of improvisational stuff. But Bubble is so energetic in a way. I mean, as far as filmmaking goes, 
it can't help me think and be very angry, Dingus, about a movie you and I saw called Only Lovers Left Alive, directed by Jim Jarmusch, where he gets incredibly talented actors in incredibly interesting, intriguing situations. Namely, what if Tom Hiddleston, Hilda Swinton, and Mia Wasikowska and John Hurt were centuries-old vampires, and he makes the most boring, energy-free movie out of this. Like, he leeches any energy from it. Whereas Steven Soderbergh, with these non-actors and this downbeat kid, I mean, he might as well be on Quaaludes the whole movie. Like, he brings this stuff alive in Bubble (laughs) versus what what, uh, Jim Jarmusch did with Only Lovers Left Alive. How does that happen? I don't know. I don't know why there's even they seem bored. I mean, that's what that was. One of the most amazing thing is that we saw that before seeing Under the Skin, and that has so much energy to it that it sort of it was just like, oh my god. Well, at least they're trying. I mean, I did get the sense that they were trying. They're trying to connect, but he just the way he like edits and then puts pauses between things, and the way things spin out slowly. And it's Jarmusch, though. I know. I know that flavor. But I don't think – like I think of uh, Stranger Than Paradise, Kelly Wand. Right. Like I don't think – Stranger Than Paradise, I don't recall like – I don't recall watching it and feeling like the energy was sucked out of it. I didn't have famous leaders in it, although I guess Tom Waits or yeah, – I don't know. Maybe – I think you expect too much when real actors are in things. I guess so. There I said it. Should By I the, the vampire movie? No. no don't need to. It does have some cool scenes of them driving around a – cool car and like bombed out Detroit but uh, no I don't think you need to see it like Chris Slater an interview of the vampire uh, more like Eminem and 8 Mile Eminem <laughs> and 8 Mile uh, Dingus just, do you have any just list- watch like skits of Jeffrey Wright Skitsopolis is that what you're going to say Jeffrey Wright's the only interesting thing I think. <laughs> oh Anton Yeltsin is okay but Jeffrey who Tom Yelton <laughs> Anton Yelton you know him uh, Kelly Wand as Chekhov in the Star Trek movies yeah. and Terminator Salvation you know, the oh, very good look at you Kelly Wand Boom. and Alpha Dog uh, Dingus do we have any listener submissions for favorite interrogation scenes you know we do we have a slew of them uh, alright so the first one is, is if a handle is required please use Cornelius so Cornelius says hello is that one of the monkeys in Planet of the Apes by the way it's the turncoat one. Right. He blew it up at the end. All right. And his face on the statue. You damn dirty podcaster. Uh, uh, fa- favorite interrogation. Quote, no, tis a knife, but I'll gladly penetrate you with it. When Thaddeus and his squire and muscleman Courtenay counter the trickster Isabel at the horse piss inn, interrogatories under pain of having to get off her stool to smash them over picnic tables include who were those handsome men you were talking to? Your quest is to kill the czar? That's what the Golden Knights do? Why would you hinder us and steal the compass? Answer, Your Highness. Wait, what? That's it from Your Highness? Your acting threw me off. Cornelius has chosen your highness, and for that, I thank you, Cornelius. Uh. All right, next. That's your favorite movie, though. You should have backed him up for it. It is my favorite movie. It is absolutely my favorite movie. Just like Spider-Man 1. (laughs) Yes, like Spider-Man. Fred and Lynn here. Next, we have Fred and Lynn. Chock full of interrogation scenes that have tickled us silly. Number three. Schwarzenegger questioning and holding David Patrick Kelly by the ankle over the edge of a cliff with wire visible in commando. 
Uh, I like when he interrogates the guy on the plane by punching him dead. After that, <laughs> jumping off the landing gear to get to Florida. Interrogating somebody by punching them dead is not an effective. <laughs> All right, uh, so- I don't know. It's ants interrogation. <laughs> Number two from Friendland. Fake Heath Ledger's Joker being interrogated by Batman. Mm-hmm. Great mind. And number one, the dude being asked, where's the money, Lebowski? <laughs> the marmot. <I'm> what? <laughs> <laughs> As he is being dunked ignominiously in his toilet. As a matter of fact, oh. this movie is packed with interrogations. Last, last thing, no one mentioned the record-playing scene in the Shawshank Redemption last week. Shame on us all. I knew I should have written in Lesson Learned. Sent from my iPod. All right, so, thanks, Fred. Yeah, we'll it was a different topic, though, that week. So. I know, but he sent in subtitles for something completely different to us. <laughs> All right, oh, so, yeah. uh, Arthur is a rebel. What did you say? He's a rebel and a maverick who walks to his own beat. He's like, Maver- yeah. Maverick. Did your parents That's know like your rules? Arthur, uh, Giovanni, uh, hello, just for fun, I've included a quick quote from each of the scenes. Three. But you're someone's bitch, ain't you, Sean? This is from Mystic River. When Lawrence Fishburne and Kevin Bacon interrogate Tim Robbins about some blood that was discovered in his car, this tense scene gets flipped by a crucial detail that Fishburne and Bacon overlooked. Hey, Dingus? Yeah? Does it seem weird at all that Maverick's name was Maverick? It's like if a guy's last name was Cowboy or Gambler, like... If his name had been Goose, that would have been weird. Maverick Goose would have been a weird name. Sorry. I talked. It happens. Uh, number two, you got a tail to swap with me now. This is from the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. In this scene, Brad Pitt confesses to murdering a mutual friend to Sam Rockwell and then grills Rockwell about what happened to his cousin. I love how quiet this scene is. And the final image of Pitt sitting menacingly in a rocking chair. Uh, wait, wrong. Does that count as an interrogation? Uh, I think you're. Yeah, is, is a question was asked. So I mean, technically, Dingus, here's here's an interrogation. <laughs> That's definition. Here, Dingus is an interrogation that I think you and I might appreciate. Here, you go. I'll just give you the line. What about what's his name? That right there is the famous interrogation scene from With Mail and Die. That is not an interrogation scene. Oh, conversation. If it opens with a question, it's an interrogation. All right. Oh, it opens with a question. <laughs> like, how are you? That's an uh, I think it's any, any use of assassination of Jesse James on any 3x3, three three, always allowed. All right. The interrogation of Jesse James should have been called. Except oh. not who was being interrogated. So. I didn't see that movie. I'm scared of it. Too, too many spoilers in the title. <laughs> so Arthur's number one is That's Globalization for You. And this is from In Bruges. Uh, Rafe Fines calls Brendan Gleeson and ends up badgering him with numerous questions, such as what he and Colin Farrell had for dinner last night. A hilarious scene which, even though Gleeson and Fines are in different locations, gives the feeling that Gleason is on the receiving end of an interrogation. Thanks for all the laughs. Yep. Badgering with questions, totally count. That's what, actually, any interrogation, you know, Zero Dark Thirty, badgering with questions. Badgering. 
Well, Can I change my number two to Logan's Run? Yes. Um, well, there's this wonderful scene that I'd forgotten in Sexy Beast where Ian McShane comes to the table where um, – uh, good Lord, I can't remember his name all of a sudden. Ray Winstone. Thank you, Ray Winstone. I'm just thinking of, of Teddy and Gal. Badgering him with and, questions, yep. Uh, where he comes and he sits down where, where Gal is having breakfast and he's just asking where Don is. And he's just like this smiling and he just keeps hammering with him with these questions. And it, and it is in very much in that that same sort of in Bruges thing that Arthur just gave us. What about when Mongo interrogated the horse in Blazing Saddles? We'll, we'll consider that one, Calculon. We'll put it in the hopper. <laughs> so we have Paul Weimer now. Uh, hi, guys. Favorite interrogations? Plenty. And the equilibrium one Dingus mentions can count as a runner-up for me. But I will limit myself to three real ones. Number three, in Highlander, Connor McLeod, played by Christopher Lambert, gets grilled by the local police after being caught at the scene of a crime, the beheading of his fellow immortal, in a parking lot near Madison Square Garden. Highlander's my second favorite movie about Scotland and aliens. <laughs> Is the interrogation in Highlander, how many can there be? Uh, there's, I think there's three. <laughs> I think there can be only four. Is that the interrogation question? Yeah, that's what the cops ask him. So how many can there be? How many can there be? Yeah. Until they find somebody who gives them the right answer, they just keep moving on. Seems like a dumb rule that no one... Enforces. It's an easy, it's an easy answer, but everybody's like, 105? <laughs> Seven. Why don't they just change the number again? 24. 24. There can be 24. There can only be 24. <laughs> there can be a gram of it. Uh, number two, the most famous scene in Basic Instinct is the interrogation of Catherine. Oh, that's a good one. Sharon Stone by the police as she turns what should be a grilling into a power play using her sexual charms as a weapon. Mm. Grilling? Or I don't know that her sexual. It was a very specific thing, not a sexual charm. I don't know. She's owning them before that, though. Even. Oh, I don't know if I would use the word sexual before charms, or even the word charms. They're not doing it right. She's doing it right, but they're not doing it right. They're not interrogating her. Correctly. And isn't it uh, the the dude who uh, kidnaps the dinosaur embryos in the shaving can cream? Isn't he in that scene? Yeah, yeah Wayne Knight is there, yes. big as a brow as usual. Right. I wonder which of those two scenes he enjoyed shooting more. They're they're really interrogating her about smoking, though. What are you going to do? Arrest me for smoking? What's the answer? Number one. One. That's the answer. One. There can only be one. There can be only one. In L.A. Confidential, Bud, Russell Crowe, goes over several lines as he breaks a chair with his bare hands and bursts in on an already tense and sharp interrogation putting his gun in the suspect's mouth to get the crucial address. Huh. How can they talk with the gun in their mouth? That's my fucking He's getting the crucial address, actually. Yeah, and I remember that because it's Guy Pierce, right? It's Guy Pierce giving a, a very uh, careful, very careful interrogation, and then Rosal Crowe comes in and just gets the address. I prefer Sean Connery's interrogation scene in Untouchables, where he interrogates the dead body. Kelly Wand, in what movie does someone win a gun with a gun in his mouth say, I can't think of anything, and then later says, I still can't think of anything? Fight Club. Damn it. Oh, you're good. You're good, Kelly Wand. Damn, I thought I had you. Although I was thinking of Into the Night, because David Bowie puts a gun in Goldblum's mouth, but it's a red herring. Does Goldblum talk with the gun in his mouth? Uh, I think the scene just ends. He sits on a plant. 
Why would you know that? I thought I was so clever. All right, anyway, never mind. Fight Club. Flashback humor. Damn, you're good. All right. <laughs> Heard enough out of you. Go ahead, Dingus. Top three flashback humors. All right, so this is David Henderson next. <laughs> Hi, Kelly, Christian, and Tom. Ah, for spilling it. Take um, that. My number three pick is from Three Kings, 1999. Ah. I like this scene because of the way the interrogation starts. The interrogator, played by Saeed Tagmoi, starts questioning Mark Wahlberg by asking... Guess, hold on, hold on. Let's hear that again. Uh, David Henderson? <laughs> Why can't you just interrogate me? I've never had to say this out loud. I'm just impressed that you did that. Like, I would just see his name and think Saeed Tagamuchi. Uh, I just said Saeed Tagamuchi. I don't, I don't know. Very good. I mean, we, we all know who that guy is, but who's ever had to say his name out loud? So, bravo, Dingus. Well played. Thank you. So, Mark, uh, he asks Mark Wahlberg, what is the problem with Michael Jackson? <laughs> Uh, he also also says my main man, but uh, David right. doesn't say that. Uh, Wahlberg acts confused, so Tagmawi smacks him on the head with a clipboard and there. says, "Your sick fucking guttery made the black man hate himself like you hate the Arab and the children you bomb over here." Uh, accent of mine. Oh wait, that's a good one actually, because oil. Remember, just like yeah. strawberry fields. Yeah. And, uh, oh, the girl. I didn't, I didn't think of that, but I didn't use ones that had. Uh, uh, torture for whatever reason. I don't know why I made that distinction. But that Three Kings one is great. Uh, my Plus, two- there are. That's an easy question because there are a lot of problems with Michael Jackson. He's a pedophile. That uh, was before then. He's dead. Um, What's wrong with him? That's something wrong with him. He's got said. he's got daddy yes. issues. Yeah. You should just call torture porn torture. Just thinking. Uh, <laughs> what were you saying? Words. David Henderson's number two, my number two pick, is from Mississippi Burning. Um, the Why did you go off, Kelly Wand? Mm, you don't uh, like Alan Par- early Alan Parker? Come on. Oh, dumb. Oh, except for Midnight Run. Wait, which is the one? Midnight Express and Fame. You like Fame. Fame's you like, you cool. like Angel Heart. I like the interrogations in Fame, and I like the Bonet in um, Fame. And you love Evita. Oh, my God, Wow. Good pull. You keep your distance, Dingus. I kept my promise. Look at Kelly Wan, knowing the lyrics to Evita. Wow. Seeing Evita and Fight Club. Damn, you're good. Don't don't try to trick me with those ones. (laughs) Don't try to trick me with this one. The non-singing parts of fame. I saw. Same night. The interrogator. Played by the late Baja Jola. Good Lord, <laughs> what's up with these names? Uh, tells the bound and gagged mayor, played by E. Lee Erme, um, a story of how a young black man was castrated. He tells the story in graphic detail, uh-huh. including the line, he looked like he'd been dipped in blood up to his waist. He does this while holding a razor and inspecting its sharpness. Oh, Afterwards, he unbuckles Erme's pants and says, we know... You know who pulled the trigger. As Ermi's eyes widen, Jola says, Is there something you want to say to me? There's a great scene because Jola is incredibly intimidating. He starts off the interrogation with a KKK hood on, builds the story slowly, and picks just a few perfect moments to raise his voice. I like I, uh, when. Uh, oh, yeah? Go ahead. Sorry. I like when Jimmy Stewart interrogated Kim uh, Novak at the end of Vertigo. Okay. I thought you'd want to know that. 
I did want to know that. Uh, like Dave Henderson goes on to say, I am sorry this is getting so long, but my number one pick is from Zero Dark Thirty. I choose it because it's my favorite, with a U in favorite, because I found it so unsettling. The first 20 minutes of that movie will stay with me forever. Honorable mention goes to Clive Owen's interrogation of Julie Roberts in the movie Closer. Oh, I love that movie. Thanks for reading and thanks Wait, for it's singular. Great it's just closer. I just say closers because I want to do that. Hmm. Next, we have Jonathan J. Lando Pratna, one of my favorite names to say. Jonathan J. Lando Pratna. And look at his little Gmail picture, Dingus. He looks like A.J. Bowen. Uh, he right? does. Yep. Great. This is probably stretching the topic, so I will only make it my third, but one of my favorite films of last year was Prisoners. Oh, you guys told me not to see that. The trailer went on for three fucking hours. <laughs> it's still going no on. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like the feature-length torture of Paul Dano by the Wolverine was a pretty harrowing example of interrogation. It was so dour, I understand why the film did not do so well, but I thought the performances and storytelling was excellent. He's a superhero. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Jonathan J. Lando Duprana says, I am sure that scene in the police interrogation front room from The Dark Knight will be chosen a lot, but I want to go slightly different with my number two. Earlier in the film, when he is looking for the Joker and Batman interrogates a goon by dropping him a couple of stories and breaking his leg, it also stands as commentary on how pointless extreme interrogation is as Batman gets no answers because, as the bandito states, we're on to you. You've got rules. The Joker has no rules. Isn't it Eric Roberts? I thought the Joker has some rules. But isn't the guy he drops Eric Roberts? I know that he beats uh, up Eric Roberts. I don't know if that's who's in that scene. But Eric Roberts definitely gets roughed up in Dark Knight. I thought. I know Bane says no when he interrogates a guy on a plane one time. How does he say it, Kelly Wand? No! Wait, I did it wrong. Hey, let's hear another rendition of Bane. Let's try take two on that. Go one more. You gotta, you gotta go down. You gotta go down in the plane. No, don't, don't do what you're gonna do. Don't just call him brother. Call him brother in the next take, Kelly Wan. Brother, go. no, no brother. <laughs> Why are you switching your mic yeah. on and off? Is Bane on a CB? <laughs> yeah. Did you know that? It stands for Citizen Bane. That's what. That's how they made that. That's how they shot it. Because <laughs> he didn't know the lines. They had to tell him. Uh, Eric Roberts, uh, here's a quick here's a quick PSA. I showed Dingus part of this movie. Kelly Wand, you should see a movie. This isn't for Dingus. It's for you. Uh, you like rubber, right? The Quentin Depew thing about the killer tire. I like rubbers. We all like yeah, rubbers. Good. So uh, Quentin Depew after that did a movie called Wrong, which is terrible, and I don't recommend <laughs> it. But recently he did a movie called Wrong Cops. Which has an Eric Roberts scene in it. Kelly Wan, you are one of the few people to whom I would recommend Wrong Cops. You didn't like it, though. No, I did. I did. I, there's scenes. Oh. I think. I think a lot of people would be like, "What?" But there are scenes. I was like, "Oh God, I really want Kelly Wan to see this." Um, it's not the movie with Jay Leno and Pat Morita is mismatched cops. Oh wait, that's Collision Course. Okay, sorry. What we <laughs> I said? think it's in it. <laughs> So, all right, that's just my recommendation for you. Uh, you like Quentin Depew, you like absurdity. Uh, there are scenes that only Kelly Wand would appreciate, that especially Kelly Wand would appreciate, and you get a little taste of Eric Roberts. He does not, however, get dropped from a building and have his uh, leg broken. His name's not Eric Dropper. It's I don't like 
Well, absurdity has its place in law enforcement. Give it a shot. Wrong cops. There's my PSA. Wrong cops. All right. What else does Jonathan J. Lando Dupratna have, Dingus? All right. He allows a number one, which is the first thing I thought of when I heard the subject. And thus, my first is the interrogation from The Heat or The (laughs) Heat trailer, if you watched it, because it totally spoils the entire scene. Anyway, I love the subversion of dangling someone over a building to get information, but in this case, actually dropping them. Oh, I I thought it was the phone book one. What? Where they interrogate him by throwing a phone book at his head in the interrogation room. Uh, This is where they're holding him, and she's like, no, no, I really can't hold him. Uh, I find it very funny. This is the kind of like my previous choice, but played for laughs, who does not love to laugh? Me, I guess, because I am much more fond of prisoners than the heat. Well, they even, they even do a thing like they take that guy that they drop – Previously in the movie, they actually have interrogated him in the police station, and there's a little jurisdictional squabble between Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock. Right. It's like when death interrogates the plane in Final Destination. Mm, It's a pretty terrible interrogation. He didn't get much information. Uh, So next we have Sean Malloy. (laughs) Hi, QT3 (laughs) movie podcast of tears. Uh, lots of great options this week. Here goes. Number three, quote, yeah, I've got one just like it in my living room. Lacombe and David Laughlin grill a frustrated Roy Neary about how he wound up at Devil's Tower in Close Encounters of the Third. <laughs> Who are you people? That's a great he one. them back. Yeah, I've got one just like it in my living room. That, that might be the pinnacle of Richard Dreyfuss's career right there. I love that. <laughs> It's a throwaway, too. It is. It isn't like, yeah, who are you? you got Who are you people? Forget the psychic alien shit. I want to know your credentials. And confirm they've missed a crucial piece of extraterrestrial mystery. I like how the movie's sinister undertones give way to the sense that we're now waiting on the brink of an awesome discovery. Which is that the aliens are music lovers. (laughs) Number two, quote, You said you weren't real, Cole. A time-traveling prisoner is questioned by an orb full of televisions in Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys. I love the scientist's ongoing interrogation of Cole throughout this movie. It's a microcosm of Terry Gilliamisms. I particularly enjoy the scientist who appears genuinely wounded that Cole didn't think she existed. When do we get another Terry Gilliam movie? Is there mm, one coming last one? Pike? Uh, oh, wait, there's one we didn't see. Well, Imaginary and Dr. Parnassus. Was I know, the last one? After that. There was what? After that. What was it? Was, what? I forget the name of it. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to make Tideland look like fucking um, Fisher King. Wait, that was released? Yeah, but like in one place for five seconds or something. Well, we could still. Uh, Dingus, did you know about this? No, I have no idea what he's talking about. Uh, I'll look it up. During the podcast. <laughs> right. And uh, and Sean Malloy's number one, quote, let me put you on hold. Uh, phone booth. Matrix. Black, Black Widow turns the tables on her apparent captors oh, and right. reveals that this mm-hmm. isn't the interrogation they quite thought it was. Yeah, but uh, it's, just, it's just the setup for the later scene. This isn't even Black Widow's only great interrogation scene Thank in you, the Sean. Avengers. Yep. But as character introductions goes, it's hard to beat. Sean knows what he's talking about. You Thanks. remember the line. You've seen that movie a thousand times. Ha ha. <laughs> Come on, that's such a generic line. Yeah. What was it? 
I'm working right now. Let me put you on hold. Yeah. He's giving me everything. I, I'm not giving her everything. Um, thanks for recording yourselves. <laughs> I like how the general kind of has to explain that to the two thugs that he's with. Like, it's not like they're in charge of him. It's sort of like he needs to protest to someone. Like, neither of them is his boss. I don't think they care, do they? Uh, <laughs> I love no, that. he's just like, I, I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I like thanks for recording yourselves. Thanks for recording yourselves for my enjoyment, Sean. You're welcome. That's not why we do it. Uh, Rhiannon McLean. Dear Tom, Christian, and Kellywand, here are my top three interrogations. Number three, the film The Cell is all about interrogating uh, an unconscious serial killer by going right into his mind. Oh, the see when she I thought the cell like it's sales, like selling something. The cell, right, okay. Yeah. Like a like a single celled organism cell. Right. right. The zero yeah. theorems to kill. Like if you were to pronounce it you, if you were just learning English like an alien, you would say the film The Kell right. is all about interrogating an unconscious serial killer by going right into his mind. She gives us four eyes via nineties CG shenanigans. Number like I don't think Tarsim did CG, wasn't that practical? No, it was, it was mostly practical, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. That, cro- that cross section of a horse is pretty CG. I really? I don't know. I don't know. You're. I think you're right, Tom. He's pretty. He's pretty practical. Because he was adamant in the fall about not using CG, right. uh, and there there are, there are some composite shots, like with somebody getting shot with arrows, but there's no CG famously in the cell. So I, I, would, I mean, in, in the fall. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if that was also the case with the cell. But I don't know. I don't know. Terry Gilliam says Billy Bob Thornton exited from the zero theorem because he has a fear of old things. We're talking about the cell now. Sorry. <laughs> that, win- that window closed, Kelly One. Sorry. Number okay. two for Rhiannon McLean is in Blade, <laughs> a vampire record keeper is interrogated for information using a UV lamp. Oh, Jesus. So here's what's going on. When Kelly Wan broke in, he said something about Billy Bob Thornton. And she says, Blade, I immediately like, oh, yeah, Sling Blade. There was probably an interrogation scene in that. And then uh-huh. the word vampires comes up, and I'm like, what? Right. You're easy to do that, too. <laughs> I know. Dwight, but... Dwight Yoakam was a – wow, that makes a whole different <laughs> – I don't remember the scene she's talking about, but I like the first Blade movie. My dumb fly kind of uh, – No, I prefer the third. I'm not going to watch those until um, uh, Ryan Reynolds shows up. <sighs> Is it one of those Guillermo del Toro? Yeah. The third the, the one. Second the second one. The second one. Uh, yeah, oh Blade, Blade oh 2. God. Oh, my God. Oh, my here, God. Here we are talking Blade. Number Sorry. one, Rand McLean in Prometheus. Oh, thanks for getting uh, us out of Blade uh, talk. Interrogate yes. the head. Let's <laughs> try harder. Eventually cracks under their torture. <laughs> In Prometheus, Charlize Theron interrogates her android, quote-unquote, brother, David Haha, jokes, in Alien, Android Ash is interrogated by the remaining crew of the Nostromo regarding the secret instructions given to him and the ship's computer mother by the nefarious Wayland yutani Corporation. It's one of the most memorable scenes of the whole Alien franchise, with Ash's head detached and leaking milky fluid as he des- delivers the unforgettable lines about the nature of the alien. You have my sympathies. Rhiannon, XXX. 
So if I'm not mistaken, in Alien, there's no inkling before Ash gets his head knocked back that there's a such thing as robots and that they have white milk. Like when you first see Alien and suddenly a dude's head falls back and he starts spouting like white fluid, there's been no groundwork laid for that. Am I correct? I don't think so, other than the way um, she deal, other than the way Ridley deals with him, which is different. But, but right, we don't know in this universe that there are right, androids right, yeah. that have white blood, right? Like well, that, that must have been such a free. Like I wish it could be 1979 and you could see Alien for the first time again. Like yeah, that must have been so freaky at that moment. That dude's head got knocked back, and he starts yeah. seeing white stuff. Like there was no. He doesn't act like a robot either. He does like those stretching exercises before he goes on the planet. He seems genuinely annoyed at Ripley, like a human irritation. Right. Like, yeah, like there's some sort of a, like little human sport. politics and pet yeah. annoyance going on. Yeah, yeah. And then when he starts, like, and when have we ever in a movie seen a robot who's got like milk for blood? Yeah. Like it's so completely random. I guess we have Dan O'Bannon to thank for a lot of that stuff, but. Uh, Plus, we've seen an alien come out of a dude's stomach, so we're like, all right, nothing else can come out of something. Well, and and even that scene, too, like now, it's almost something I wanted to talk about with Under the Skin. Like, we have this idea that an alien gets planted in your body and then it bursts out of you. It's like a cross between insecurities about cancer, the thing inside of you growing and giving birth, you know, pops out of you. That's commonplace now. Like, we've all seen that, and that's in our our psyche in movies. DNA. In, our, in movies about aliens and whatnot. But one of the things I loved about Under the Skin is its new, unsettling portrayals of, of what it means to be alien. You know, this idea of being dissolved, that's incredibly gross. Literally Under the Skin. Um, uh, and, and so, I, you know, that just made me think, you know, watching Under the Skin made me think, wow, this must be what it would have been like back in 1979 to see Alien for the first time, just to have everything be so weird. Well... Like that whole idea, again, you know, an alien, big deal. It plants an egg in you. Yeah, it pops out and it bursts out of you. That's this alien ecosystem that is so incredibly familiar to us, uh, what, 40 years later. Yeah. Well, it's also an effect you're not expecting, and it's all older actors that you go, well, this is going to be a very stodgy parlor room drama about an alien. And then, because it's all British dudes and Sigourney Weaver. And you don't even really – like what's a big special effect in a movie except for Star Wars, which has like one or two in it? But like science fiction movies that show something like that, like a meal going south. Um, there might be something like that in The Day the Earth Stood Still. Hey, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up about it's the – It's the grossest robots. scene ever made up to that time, isn't it? Did anything gross you out before you land? Um, well, there's all that crappy, like, Herschel Gordon Lewis crap, but, but that doesn't really count. Like, that's I don't know who those are. Anyway, like, horror movies did gross out stuff, but in terms of making it seem just, like, in terms of showing you something you'd never seen before. Right. Like, now, when we hear about, oh, yeah, if you bleed white, you're you're a replicant. You know, you're an artificial person. Everybody, like, that's, that's in our right. cultural that's, consciousness now. If you bleed white, you're not a replicant. You're an artificial person, I correct you. You're a goddamn robot. Right. Or an artificial. I prefer the term artificial person. I prefer the term little person, but full sized. Back to Dingus. Uh, Do either he or Ash have any sort of wondering or wistfulness about whether or not they could be impregnated and and why that can't happen? (laughs) The aliens, as you know, if you've played Alien versus Predator. Wait, uh, let me hold on. Let me get my notebook. Give off heat. Yeah, so when you use your alien vision in Aliens vs. Predator, you don't see the right. uh, the replicant people or the artificial persons. They're fucking androids, and they're goddamn robots. 
stop calling them artificial people. When do they I, ever see that the alien? I would wonder if they would even try to make that happen for themselves. I mean, the, the the thing that that I often see about them in the movies is this sort of sadness at not being able to further science. And I wonder if they would think of that as part of that. Ash didn't want to get impregnated. Well, you can't, like, there's no bodily nutrients that the little things could drink out of a, a replicant. And Kelly Wan, they do. Uh, uh, Rance Henriksen says, I prefer the term artificial person. But that's yeah. him, the actor, saying it. Right, but that's what I'm saying, is they do. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Dingus, so to answer your question, I think the ecology is such that an alien could not <laughs> use a replicant's, like, nutrients or whatever that white stuff is to grow a baby alien. Not even to gestate for the trip home. No, I mean, no, 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 no. Dingus, man, oh. dingus, man is the safest place to hide. Not artificial. But if a facehugger oh. attacks Bane, he's protected because he's got his CB radio. No, brother. No, Tom, Tom, I love that tagline. Man is the safest place to hide. Do you know what movie it is? No. Are you serious? Come on. It's a, that is a real ta- a movie tagline. Come on, yeah. Dingus. You suck for not knowing it. That's oh. how that's how important a movie it is. Oh, Dingus, you're such not a child of 80s. You wouldn't surprise me if he hasn't. No, he's seen it. He's seen it. Uh, it's the tagline for The Thing. Yeah. What thing? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right, next we have Dave Perkins. Uh, before Dingus even reached the end of the word interrogation, the usual suspects popped into my mind. Ah, the series of interrogations near the beginning of the movie that introduces the five main characters. I love the punch that ends that scene. If you ever do a best first time you saw an actor, Benicio Del Toro would make my list. Kellen Lutz, I didn't see him until Hercules. All right, so that's your number three. Uh, so Dave Perkins then says, and then for the rest of the week, I kept trying to add to my list, and I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's how a lot of three by threes work, Dave. Yeah, uh, I thought of one in a heartbeat, and none more for a week. Fortunately, Michelle brought up the scene from Midnight Run. Oh shit! In which Marvin Dorfler is asked questions by cops. Why don't you quit? It would be cheaper for both of us. Uh, Michelle, you're awesome. And the toilet interrogation from Austin Powers. Who does number two work for? <laughs> That, 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 that's oh my god! That's about a torture scene, and also was about advanced interrogation in the uh, third world. That's why she's on the team. Uh, that's from Dave and Michelle. Michelle uh, and Dave, you both rock. But Michelle, thank you for bringing him in. I run. You rock. I like when Buster Keaton interrogates the train in general. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Next, we have Robert Perry Cruz. I don't know how to say this right, but I'll just say Rob Perry. Hey, Tom Chick, Christian Mglawarowski, and <laughs> Kelly Wand. How does he know how to pronounce your last name? Uh, he spells it awesomely. I wish I had spelled my name like this. It's pronounced Wand, by the way. Yeah, Wand. Uh, Christian Wand and Kelly Wand. Uh, thought I'd give a 3 by 3 submission a try. Sharing some more light-hearted interrogation scenes. Mm. Number three in The Rocketeer. Joe Johnston's 1991 underrated gem. Latex-faced thug Lothar utters only one question to hero Cliff Secord. (laughs) Listen to it. (laughs) 
while repeatedly jamming his head through the ceiling. Where is it? Where's the rocket? Maybe it was the monosyllabic delivery of the horrible cottage cheese makeup on Lothar's face, but something about this scene always cracked me up. Ceilings and rockets don't mix. Uh, Robert Perry's number two. After receiving a suction cup to the head, Marty McFly is barraged with questions from Doc Brown as he tests his new mind-reading device in Back to the Future. Does Marty want Doc to get a subscription to Saturday Evening Post? What about a donation to the Coast Guard Youth Auxiliary? The only information Doc manages to get out of the future friend is that the damn device doesn't work. And Robert Perry's number one, only Ty Burrell, in full-on outrageous French accent, and Sam the Eagle can solve a series of mysterious robberies in Muppets Most Wanted. (laughs) I was going, wait, why is a cop character from the Billy Crystal movie have the same name as a Muppet or something? Or Walter Hill? It's the guy from Modern Family. You guys are jerks. He's awesome. I, don't I thought Chai Burrell was the guy in uh, Blade Runner. That has got You're thinking of Roy Batty. See, it's Tom doesn't get the, the Ty Burrell Corporation. Jesus uh, Christ. Conducting an interrogation entirely through song, each Muppet must account for his, her, its whereabouts during the time of the robberies, which range from Bunsen Honeydew, claiming that the chances of him connecting a crime is less than Point zero zero nine to Gonzo answering that he doesn't know about any stolen bust as he spent the night in bed concussed. The song gets a lot of play during family car rides, and I wanted to make sure that Muppets Most Wanted got some positive recognition after its recent bombing at the box office. Thanks, guys. Your show keeps me in good mood during my Monday morning commute. Sincerely, Rob Perry. You're right. Wait, you can listen to the show and the Muppets at the same time and the same ride, right? What were you going to say, Tom? Sorry. No, I'm good. Yeah, sorry. All right. Uh-oh. All right, Scott Andrews. Hey, Scott that's... Andrews writes. Sorry, there's a lot of them. Favorite ineffective interrogations. Met Damon detained in Italy. Quote, Jason Bourne gives Nevins the silent treatment after allowing himself to be captured in Naples in Bourne supremacy. Just waiting for the call from Pamela Land. <laughs> Uh, render up, quote, imagine yourself in a room that's too short for you to stand up in and not wide enough for you to lie down in. Molly Starr needs to play tough cop in front of Commissario while questioning son Linus Codwell at the end of Ocean's 12. If he agrees to testify, the Italian charts will be dropped and he and the others will be extracted to the U.S. Everyone is saved. Uh, okay, so the next one is William Flashbart. To narrow it down, I went with interrogations that went badly for the interrogator. I'm guessing the only unique one on my list will be my number one, number three, the Avengers. Black Widow gets interrupted and takes a phone call while extracting information from her interrogator. Number two, the usual suspects, Verbal Kent, lies his pants off and gets away with it just long enough. And number one, Marathon Man. Boom. What an important question. Kelly Wan, what's that question? Uh, Is it safe or what? Hint, it isn't. Runner-up, the framing interrogations from True Detective. Hey, I said goddammit because I thought, I thought I made Tom forget something, so I wasn't saying, oh my god, more listeners. So you don't have to like speed through the readings if you want to, because I was no. like hitting no. myself. I'm not speeding through. We've got two more. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, Josh. Josh is next. Um, like Dinga said, I tried to stick to the spirit of the thing with these, but even so... 
All of mine are at best unofficial interrogations, examinations, or debriefings. I didn't set out to break the category, but all the straightforward ones I could think of felt boring. See what you think. Number three, the big kahuna. The scene where veteran sales guys Spacey and DeVito debrief rookie Peter Facinelli on his conversation with the eponymous kahuna, and Spacey loses his shit when he finds out Facinelli spent the whole time talking about God. Number two, The Horrible Appendage, Hammer movie from 1962. <laughs> Hammer classic starring Peter Cushing as a lonely pet groomer who... Jake <laughs> What? It's not as good as The Snorkel, everyone knows. <laughs> the Tingler's good. It's William Castle, how dare you. Uh, know. Yeah, but what what I, movie are you talking about, Kelly? Hmm, I'm just trying to fit him with the group. Number two, his actual number two is Closer. Uh, or closers, as I said earlier. Another movie adapted from a stage play. The interrogation here is maybe the most uncomfortable scene in the movie full of them. Clive Owen finds out Julia Roberts has been cheating on him with Jude Law and demands every gnarly, taint-clenching detail. The kind of shit he's been planning on keeping himself awake for months with, I guess. I'd probably do the same, and I regret it forever. And number one, Blade Runner. This one's the exam. Ah, mm, that's good, good actually. I don't think of that as an interrogation. Is it a test with that's scripted good. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Decker conducts the Voigtkamp test with Rachel as subject. Sean Young is heartbreaking. Ford is heartbroken. This is his one role I think dumps Tom's chick's whole rock greater than Ford thing. He uses a greater than symbol. Um <laughs> And it's maybe my favorite scene in the movie. I love the way she hesitates briefly before lighting her cigarette. She's more real than anyone else in this movie. Uh, runners up, King Louie interrogates Mowgli. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's funny. Um, especially for you sci-fi and horror nerds. King uh, Louie from the French Revolution? <laughs> no. Gotcha. Very good. Uh, Terrence Malick oh. interrogates God via voiceover in the Thin Red Line. Um, Tree of Life, etc. Uh, I don't remember that. The King Louis one is hilarious. And we have one more. All right. Aaron Vaughn. Dear QT3, 3x3. Here are my choices for interrogations. The hardest topic to choose only three of. Number three, if you get the opportunity, I suggest you kill yourself. True Detective. If it's good enough for a movie podcast, it's good enough for 3x3. Three three. We've done. Yep. 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 Yeah, I almost fell into this trap, too. Is there an interrogation scene in Game of Thrones? <laughs> no. uh, Don't tell us, Kelly, when it would be a spoiler. Yeah, we All haven't right. done that possible. <laughs> in the credits. This was the first thing that popped into my head. Among the series of interrogations, we see Matthew McConaughey enact, in which he suggests that the woman under questioning kill herself in prison. Talk about rubbing salt in the wound, huh? Um, number two. Uh, doesn't that suck? I just hit you for no reason. This is from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Mm. <laughs> it sounds like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah. The scene where Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kimmer trick their captor into being their hostage. RDJ becomes a tough guy and uses intimidation to get information from their hostage. He empties out a revolver aside from one round for a game of Russian roulette, which ends at the same point it begins with an accidental murder. Doesn't that suck? I just hit you for no reason. It's like a Batman-Iron Man crossover. Iron Man. 
Uh, number one, see how angry I am with a piece of office equipment that leaked this document? Can you even imagine how angry I am with the person who leaked it? Can you? That voice. That does sound familiar. Um, 48 hours. Uh, descent. If it's not uh, Glengarry Glen Ross, I don't know. Well, I should have said it like this. See how angry I am with this piece of office equipment that leaked this document. Can you even imagine how angry oh. I am with the person oh, who leaked it? It's Arnold, Schwartz, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Oh. Go ahead, Kelly Warren. Oh, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sill? Is that what you said? <laughs> don't think I recognize it. I don't know. Uh, no, it's from In the Loop. Uh, one method of interrogation. <laughs> Jeez, that was your that was your Peter Capaldi dingus, really. Yeah. That okay. was your Peter Capaldi. That's your impression of Peter Capaldi. No, that's my, that's my that awesome. good one. Oh, it's the other Scott, actually. Fair point. All right. Which happens to be how the crossest man in Scotland goes about seeking information between two people. That's right. This pick has nothing to do with Peter Capaldi. Instead, Paul Higgins topples a fax machine to the ground machine <laughs> to the ground and kicks it to pieces until finally a foreign office employee relents that he accidentally forwarded said document without realizing. Kelly Wan, name another movie in which a fax machine is terribly abused. Office space. Oh, you're good. Damn, you're good. Well, I've only seen three movies, so <laughs> you think I'm going to get it. <laughs> the kipper, kicker happens to be the whole interrogation and the accompanying accusations turn out to have been a lie to suss out a weak leak. Oh, also revealed that the document wasn't faxed. It was emailed. The printer was just easier to kick. No one ever kicks email. Uh, it's hard to avoid the dark night and interrogation montage. And now you see me uh, tells us to always be the smartest guy in the room. Thanks for the great topic, Dingus. I had a lot of fun deliberating over the week about what to cut, keep, and demote for brevity. You're welcome, Aaron Vaughn. And there we are, gentlemen. Do we have any runners up? I think so. So, Kelly Wand, what do you have then for the listeners to deliberate over the next week for next I, week's three by three? I can't remember if we did this one already. Uh oh, that's always a good sign. Kelly Wand opens with this. It's hard to tell where it's. There's no way to know. <laughs> if only we had some document. <laughs> I didn't open that yet. I got it hours ago. I didn't have time. Actually, days ago. When did he send it? Uh, it's three best uh, scenes on a roller coaster. <laughs> Not quite as, but like when Dingus said interrogation, I immediately was firing like in my brain, like, oh, this one, that one, that one. This one's kind of like, um, uh, I might have something. Yeah, All right. There's one from a movie I haven't seen that you guys have talked about over and over again. What? Well, don't. Okay. Wait, well, now I've got to try to think what that is. Dingus! See? All right, scenes on a roller coaster. I meant a metaphorical one. If you're listening, nope, don't say that, Kelly Wan. People will believe you. <laughs> if you're listening and you have picks for best scene on a roller coaster, scenes that you like, Kelly Wan, do Ferris wheels count? Don't answer that. Ferris, Ferris, wheels. Ferris wheels do not count. <laughs> Send us your favorite scenes on roller coasters to 3 by 3 at quarter2three.com. That's the number 3, the letter X, the number 3, at... And you have to spell out quarter2three.com. Uh, we'd love to read them on the air. Next week, we're really going to do this, right, guys? We're going to oh, yeah. see. We're going to see Neighbors. Is it a remake of the Belushi one? Oh, with Kathy Moriarty before she. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's right after uh, Raging Bull, actually. Uh, well, have you seen her lately? Like she's. I mean, you know, I don't. She's in soap. Dish. Thing, but 
Well, know. people say that, like, oh, my God, have you seen her lately? But it's like 30, like, everybody's aging. I know, exactly. It's pretty old. old. It happens. You yeah, have- and I'm shocked by it. Like, oh, my God. Uh, not not everybody ages like Keanu Reeves. You know, we don't all drink the blood of infants to look young. Oh, uh, that's just what I've heard. I don't know if that's true. It's like a little arbitrary <laughs> for me. Uh, so send in your picks for roller coaster scenes and see uh, neighbors, which mm-hmm. uh, we will see and discuss uh, next works. week. Also later this month, I know uh, we have coming uh, Godzilla. I'm psyched about it, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be terrible. We have uh, X-Men Days of Future Past. Ah. I, I am not the least bit psyched about it, but I'm pretty sure I'll probably think, eh, it's okay. That's my that's my <laughs> prediction for the rest of May. Uh-huh. You will be apathetic. Yeah. You're excited I, about it. Elite Dingus, though, is outright dreading seeing the X-Men movie. He is? Yeah, yeah. he hates X-Men. Well, I know he loves Spider-Man 1. He's, pre- he's preferential to the uh, Mark Webb Spider-Man movies. That's what Dingus likes. Uh, by the way, guess happy- what? Um, Guess what USA Today's headline was about the box office returns for this weekend for Spider-Man being number one. Just take a while. Like, can I guess? Yeah, yeah guess. Uh, make okay, it. Wait. Hold on. Can I go? Make it as inane as you can. <laughs> Mark Webb slings another hit. Nope, of- way too clever. Way way too clever. Uh, Dingus, do you have a guess? Splat. <laughs> no, because it actually <laughs> USA Today is not going to offer that sort of editorial opinion. Uh, their headline was something like uh, uh, Sp- "Spider-Man Two catches audiences in its web uh, with two uh, beats." Jeez, wait, they didn't even use the. Is it Mark Webb even? Uh, Webb or Weber? You guys made fun of me for getting it wrong before. I think yeah, it's just Webb. I think it's Webb. Webb is like some pig. That'd be a good one. Uh. Terrific. Way too clever. Way, way too clever, Dingus. Dial that down. Dial that down. Wait, what was it again? He made a Charlotte's Web reference. No, and he's the USA Today thing. Uh, uh, audiences caught in the web of Spider-Man 2. Mm-hmm. I, I don't read... I just want to make it clear. I don't read USA Today. I just saw it on the internet. I do not read that. Wait till the guys hear this. What do I tell the internet what I read off of? <laughs> this is exactly the kind of paper I want that tells us that Everything's just fine. It's not even about USA, A. B, it's not about... It, it's called today, and then it's reporting weekend box office. Fuck that. You've already lost me. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. Too many rules. Uh, all right, so I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by Christian Mc, McClinsky. It's Christian Morosky. Kelly Wand. My favorite scenes were the Blair Witch interrogated the tent. Mr. Carlson interrogated the turkeys in what WKRP, I think is. People wind me up.